With the crazy world we live in today, many of us seek adventure of the unknown. Join the five of us everyday Aussies from all walks of life, share stories from men and women of all hunting camps. From tips and techniques to the emotional rollercoaster ride fulfilling a lifelong dream, there is a story to be told by all. Welcome to Hunting Camp Down Under. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Hunting Camp Down Under podcast. Uh, back behind the mic with the Frothmaster, Benny Solaris. How are you, buddy? Good, thanks, mate. That's the guy. We've been sitting here talking about weather and, oh, no, how the cyclones are going to smash the East Coast and <laughs> freaking yeah, everybody out. Some fairly concerning predictions out at the moment, yeah, but um, it's been good to see a bit of widespread rain around the around the place. Most people, I think, have got a bit now and um, certainly the country around here is super, super green again, which is nice to see. Yeah, so Benny was just saying he's, uh, where are you at, Chinchilla? Yeah, just outside Chinchilla at work, yeah. And uh, I think the weekend the cyclone's going to hit, you're moving? <laughs> yeah, well, it's um, it's not looking too encouraging. Yeah, I'm moving, <laughs> I'm moving house in exactly two weeks from today. So, yeah. I took, yeah, and, yeah. It'll be that day. And, It'll be that and, day. And moving 2,000 kilometres from far north Queensland to sort of central southern Queensland, and there's a fair few rivers and creeks <laughs> and whatever else to, to cross, <laughs> like a Along that, along that path. So, um, yeah. But anyway, fingers crossed it doesn't uh, turn into anything too serious. You'll be right. You'll be right. Nothing yeah, we'll make it work. Anyway. <laughs> no, nah, look, we've just, uh, yeah, we, I thought it was a, a great time, obviously, this time of the year, Benny, as you know. Um, you know, everyone's sort of trying to plan their, their hunts moving forward, whether it's this year or the next couple of years. I've been busier, you know, getting every guy as wrapped up for the American stuff and, Trying to put a few plans forward for the for this year, and I don't know you you've been busy yourself, um, yeah. And especially with, well, I've got to say congrats, mate, getting solar pursuits off the ground. Well, sort of last year, why not really hit its strides? I suppose you've been it's been around. The name's been around for a long time. Yeah, well, it's an interesting sort of story. It's it's um, well, I have only sort of um, the the reality is that I only sort of got the time and um, yeah, the time and energy to sort of get things kicked off sort of late last year and the idea had been there for a fair while and um yeah plenty of sort of mates and outfitters and different um contacts around the place had sort of been encouraging me to sort of start something up for a fair while but it was only um it only really came to fruition sort of late last year so i've, I've only just really started to do a little bit of advertising and and um yeah just start to th- throw a few posts up on um on, on instagram and facebook and stuff like that and yeah, I've had a really good response, which has been great. Sort of sent a fair few um, people to to different parts of the world over the last few months, and they've all they've all done pretty well. But yeah, just a bit of backstory. I guess Silent Shoots was born sort of back in 2014, and uh, that was when we were sort of more focused on the media side of things. So I sort of teamed up with Benny Godfrey, who's a, a pretty awesome um, filmmaker back then, and we did a bit of film stuff, like we did make a few short films and a few promos and stuff like that and yeah that was our that was the name of our game back then um but it didn't really we're sort of finding that we couldn't make it sort of commercially viable really at yep. that at that stage and just the way the industry is in australia so bloody hard market yeah and it was a lot of fun like it was it was awesome fun making a few a few films and we had some awesome hunts and some awesome times but it sort of it basically fizzled a bit on the media side because it just wasn't the sort of I guess there wasn't the interest in the industry to sort of um, to sort of keep it going. So Benny kind of moved on to other things, and he's 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 up to all sorts of stuff now. He films 
Patriot Games, which is a TV show, and he's he's involved with a lot of different different companies, and he's he's going well. But so it sort of sat fairly um, uh, dormant for a while there, and um, when I wanted to kick off the, the the consulting, like the hunting consulting, I didn't. Re- I, I sort of it just sort of made sense to run it under the same name and just just keep the same keep the same branding, I guess, and the same same logo and all that stuff. So we used to be Silent Pursuits Media, and now it's just Silent Pursuits. I'm just going to stick to that name and. Um, it, it meant that I didn't have to create a new Instagram <laughs> page or anything like that. We just just continued from where we left off. So that's a bit of the backstory, I guess. And um, yeah, I'm sort of I don't um, I don't want to sort of try and go too crazy too quickly. I just want to start slow and and be um, careful in in my movements, I guess, and and um, really focus on quality from the beginning. Like that's that's really my key focus. Is just is just it's just really high quality experiences and, and keeping um, high level of quality with, with communication and, and sort of, yeah, setting people up on, on these hunts that, that sometimes might seem a little bit out of reach or too expensive or, or too crazy. But um, a lot of these things are much more in reach than what people actually think. Yep. And that's, that's where I see myself being useful is, is sort of, connecting people to these opportunities that are out there and um and really helping them get there you know yeah definitely um and i, I sort of had been doing it a fair bit for years you know like over the last 10 years i guess i, I had been doing that just in my own time and i i um i'm naturally pretty helpful i like helping people and i'll probably get it from the old man for, for better or for worse <laughs> um yeah i just I, I sort of can't say no when someone asks for a hand with something and um yeah so i guess i've been setting people up on hunts for quite a while in different parts of the world and places that I've been and, and, and sort of, yeah, just sort of decided to make it into, yeah, to actually make something out of it, I guess, yep. out, of, out of my time and it's, it's gone from there. And I guess to, to probably help you, uh, you know, further the background even for um, more is obviously you've, um, you know, you, you are very well travelled um, in, the, in the way of some of the areas and, and countries that we're going to talk about here soon. Um, you know, you've, you've, your hands-on experience in there I think is – uh, it's kind of priceless, especially for from an Australian point of view or or a New Zealand point of view, that uh, that you know potentially hit you up to um to organise a hunt. You know, I, I find that as well. Doing the American stuff, you know, it's very easy to talk about the areas that you've been in or the experiences you've had versus the ones that you haven't been there. And you know, being well travelled like yourself, it's easy easy to speak of it. And and you said to me before, you know, you're putting your name on it, and I think that's going to be the the number one thing. Yeah, absolutely. Like. It's um, I, I know that having like having been to these places and, and knowing how things work and the logistics and the ins and outs and the details and the, the it's it's not super easy stuff. Like you don't just jump in and, and hope for the best. You've got to you've got to figure everything out and know how things work and and um and and be very well prepared and before you get there kind of thing. So yeah, I, I know that that's going to be a helpful thing. And I guess a fair few people know me now, and I can. Yeah, sort of, um, yeah, like just getting that information from someone that you sort of know or half know and, and, and someone that you can sort of trust, I guess, rather than some random random uh, person or company in a, in a different country. Um, that's, that's just particularly Aussie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And there's a lot of dodgy operators out there, like yep. to be honest, like both both outfitters and, and consultants or booking agents, there's, there's unfortunately there's an element of, um, yeah, of, of sort of, Rip off merchants out there that, yep. and there's and there's plenty of examples. 
examples of people um, getting done or, or having a having a bad trip or or things really um, the wheels really falling off. Yep. So um, yeah, and, and I my my total goal is just to focus on on that quality, you know, like just making sure that um, if I'm going to send someone somewhere, if someone if someone's going to put their trust in me to go somewhere remote or somewhere sort of out of the way that they don't have any experience with, like I, I want to make absolutely 100% sure that, that um, they know exactly what they're in for. <clears throat> Their expectations are really um, clear. Grounded. And, and yeah, and, that, and that, that what happens when they get there from, from the beginning to end is, is exactly what they asked for and what they wanted. And obviously just dealing with the right types of people in the right places. So, yeah, I've got a fair bit of... I've, I've, I've travelled a fair bit, and I've, I've sort of made a lot of good contacts around the world now. And it is a pretty small world in that world. Like it's, um, yeah, like it's it, it is a fairly small world, and, and everyone kind of knows each other in the industry. And it doesn't take too long to figure out who the honest, uh, good quality operators are, and um, yeah, and sort of sift them out, and yeah, work out where the best spots are. And that doesn't always mean huge money. And that's, yep. I think, a lot of people sort of think that that. If you if you if you pay less, you're just going to end up with a with a cheaper, um, cheap like a, a lower quality sort of product or experience. But it's not really the case in hunting. There's there's so many there's so many insane opportunities out there, pretty much in every corner of the world that don't cost the earth. Um, there's lots of lots of amazing um, species and places out there that are really within reach of everyone. Yep. So um, that's that's what I'm that's what I'm hoping to do is is connect people to those those opportunities. Well, I think we'll use uh, we'll probably use your last twelve months or, or 2019 hunting season to um to probably start jumping into a couple of these areas. Um, sort of give us a quick recap. Um, I know you you caught up with Al Kidner and, and spoke about Greenland and um yeah you know, it was a pretty epic sort of <laughs> adventure with the boys there and was it lo- wasn't long after that what was next was it. I had a bit of um. Was it Ibex? Yeah, I had a bit of time off, and um, yeah, I sort of laid low there for a few months, and um, yeah, the next time after that was up with Tom Miranda up to Coburg. Yep, that's right. So we did a bit of filming up there, and um, yeah, that was that was just straight after the um, the Australian Archery Museum uh, weekend down there at Bathurst. So yeah, so went on went on a Bantang trip up there, and that went really well. Tom nailed a good ball and and a, and a really awesome boar and. Yeah, we had an awesome time up there. It was just spectacular. I managed to nail a bantang as well, a nice one. I beat, beat me PB, which was which was nice in the last day. That's always and, a nice. Um, yeah, it was a good little good little bonus at the end. And then, yeah, then went straight over to Kyrgyzstan. So there was a bit of a crew of us that went over to there. Um, that was my first trip to kind of that part of Asia. I'd, I'd been to Turkey before and it, sort of southeastern Asia on um, just on holidays and stuff like that. But I hadn't sort of been to that part of the world hunting and. Um, yeah, it was it was it was just on such a different level to anything else I've ever or any place I've ever been to. It was really really mind boggling. Yep. And I guess I I, te- I I know I tend to froth out about a lot of different places like Bulgaria and Greenland, and that, but they are all amazing. They are they are all amazing places, and and they are amazing experiences. And Kyrgyzstan was again um, just like that. There was we we couldn't fault anything. We had. We all had an amazing um, time, and everyone sort of everyone sort of um, nailed a nailed an ibex except for me. So <laughs> it was 
as I said, as I said to my mates, like I was, ju- I was really due for some humble pie anyway. So I, I, um, I just absorbed it. And you, um, you can yeah. take that slice, mate. You're right. <laughs> I needed it. I actually needed it. Like I will be honest, I'd, I'd had a fairly serious run of luck there, and you need to, you, you need to, fa- like in bow hunting, you need to fail sometimes, or in any hunting, I shouldn't just say bow hunting, but you can't just, you, you need to fail sometimes, and. Uh, I was certainly due, so um, yeah, just didn't just didn't get a shot, just didn't get a just didn't get a decent shot. I did have one one shot at a walking animal on the second day, and only yeah, just missed him. But uh, so I did, did get one shot, but um, yeah, it was a tough shot, and just didn't quite pull it off. But everyone else nailed one, which was an amazing result, particularly. Um, Particularly uh, Corey and, and Mick, like for those two fellas, for, for us to go two out of three with bows in yeah. Kyrgyzstan on mid-Asian Ibex is pretty much, yeah, that's out, <laughs> that's out of control. Yeah, yeah. like there's, there's less than 10 of them. It's less than 10 of those, um, that species of Ibex that's ever been sort of recorded with a bow in modern history. So for those two for those two guys to get it done was just, just amazing to be a part of. I was, I was there when Corey got it done. I wasn't actually right next to him, but... I was up above him sort of listening to what was happening on the radio and information was being relayed to me and it brought a tear to my eye as soon as I got that news over the radio that he'd put one down. I was just just so, so stoked to get that news. And, yep. um, yeah, so the best thing about missing out was I get to go back this year. So <laughs> going back this year, That's I, awesome. when I sort of have a goal, or, yeah, once I start on a, on a particular species, I can't sort of let go until it's yep. – until it's done, and that's an amazingly affordable hunt. Like it's 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 comparable to guided hunts, like in Australia. Like this, like it's going to cost you more in most circumstances to go and hunt a buffalo. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so and for the for the experience that it was, it was just just to be in that um, to be in that place with those pe- like with those people, and to to sort of really be emerged in the in the culture and, and see how things work in such a totally different place to anywhere where I'd ever been. Um, and, and those animals were just almost, yeah, it was almost like being on another planet, like seeing seeing Marco Polo rams for the first time and um, walking over snow leopard tracks. and um, That's cool. Yeah, just just the, the horse riding, the daily horse rides and the sort of country that we got into on horses. It was just, you were just absolutely blown just blown away every second, just frothing as hard as you possibly can imagine every moment. So um, yeah, so that was awesome over there. Had a had an absolute ball, and I uh, really can't wait to to get back over there um, later this year. And yeah, and that was sort of that was the last sort of big hunt for the year. And I was lucky to get a little quick hunt in with uh, Maddie up at um, Cuyahoga Adventures. That was just a little quick last minute thing, and um, it was about sixty degrees up there. And <laughs> we really. <laughs> We nearly died, yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, it was great fun. I hadn't been hunting pigs for, I hadn't, I hadn't shot a pig in Australia since 2015, believe it or not. So, um, yeah, it was, it was just awesome to, to just the nostalgia of driving up the road up to the Cape and um, just driving those roads again. And yeah, the hunting was really good. It, it's just an amazing setup that they've got up there. Like the boys do, an absolutely awesome job. And anyone that. Anyone that hasn't been to the Cape or hasn't had a good crack at pigs yet, um, you've just got to do yourself a favour and get up there. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a special setup and a special opportunity, particularly keeping it. The boys are keeping it bow hunting only, and 
and um, the opportunities are just endless. There's 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 a crazy number of, of pigs there, and um, yeah, really really cool place. So yeah, I, I, I think I, I'll be there again. I'll hopefully get up there again this year if I can if I can make it happen. But yeah, I'm trying um, to. I'm in trouble as well. Matt is up me, so <laughs> I've got to I'm try and swing that around somehow as well. But um, get up there, mate. It's, yeah, it's get up there as soon as you can. I look at it as well, you know. I've got I've got some country I can access up there, but you know, in all honesty, it's it's just it's easier nearly just to jump on the back with Maddie and yeah, get yeah. the plane, get the plane up, get you know, fly to the station and hunt for a week and be back to work the following week. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, oh, it's you know, it's, it's just to be, so to be managed cool. and you know, looked after and that as well as it is hard to argue with. Yeah, and I think one thing that really really stands out for me or really impresses me is the um is the the bow hunting education course that's been set up i'm sure a fair few um fair few listeners have probably heard of it or some of them might have even been up there and done it but i just i I think that's just one of the most um it's one of the most awesome things that's probably happened in in our history really The, the 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 opportunity that's there for for people who are new to bow hunting or or just want to hone their skills or whatever. That opportunity to go and to go there and hang out with those guys that are involved in that program, yep. and go hunting with them and and learn what, take on the sort of knowledge that those sort of guys can pass on in a in a during a hunt, whether it's I think it's four or five days or something like that. But if you're a, if you're new to bow hunting or if you've even thought about doing that course, just do yourself a favor and go and do it. Like I know he's pretty well booked out for this year already, but it's that is an amazing opportunity for people to go and learn a bit of stuff. And, yeah, I just think it's a fantastic thing that they've put together. So it's a massive credit to them. It can, I think the best way it can, it can leap, leap, jog, leap frog. I'll get my words right here shortly. But uh, it can leapfrog uh, in, your, in, you know, your, I guess, your hunting experience or it just, you know, um, Massively. around the bow, like years within a couple of days. It, um, you know, the experience, yep. you know, between Matt, Smithy, Summers, you know, on a technic- yeah. on a technical level and, and, a, and an actual hunting level on the ground, um, you know, you spend a few days with them boys. They've, you know, they've, yeah. seen, they've seen more fall over from an arrow than probably most of us, you know. Yeah, so, um, it's, and it's they a have unique that, opportunity. And they have that ability to teach as well. I think that's Absolutely. what a big thing is, is where there's some awesome hunters out there that do their own thing. But because they're not around people all the time, it's very hard for them to share that experience in a in a, in a way that someone can learn it. And yeah. I think that's what the boys have really nailed. And uh, you know, credit credit to Maddie, he's really he's really set that up well. Yeah, no, it's it's um, yeah, I just I, I almost wish I was a beginner so I could, so I could come <laughs> and do it. Maybe I should maybe I should just go and do it anyway, and I'll probably well, learn a fair bit. Actually, I'll probably get found out a bit. But um, yeah. yeah, no, it's just it's just awesome. It's just such a cool thing. So yep. yeah, really want to give them a shout out because um, and yeah, like yeah, it's if you're a newbie or if you if you if you're sort of new to bow hunting, it's you've you've really got to go and do that. Yep. It doesn't get any better. Yeah, and it really will. It's an enjoyable experience. Good lads, plenty of beers, all those kind of things. But you will really enjoy your hunting following that as well. You know that yeah. that's a that looking to the future. You know some of those things that annoy you. You know, can really pick that up. So, yeah, yeah. check that check that out for sure. Um, yeah, plug for Maddie and the, and the boys. It's uh, yeah, it's yeah, definitely good Koyuga thing. Adventures. Definitely a good thing, mate. Yeah. I want to jump back a little bit. Um, well, we kind of got so much to cover, but we've got all the time in the world. So, I want to jump back to to the Bantang stuff, mate. That that is a pretty rare sort of 
it come it, it hit the highlights there. It was on the highlight reel for for a, few, a number of you know a couple of seasons there, and it kind of went away for a little bit. But um, you've sort of got your handle on it. How does that kind of work? You know, we've got pretty much the only huntable species of bangtang in the world. Um, for yeah. anybody that doesn't know, but I'm I'm sure most people listening to this are pretty familiar with them. But you know, how does it work? You know, what's involved? Um, you know, is it booked out for years in advance? Like, tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, it's a bit of a um, – it is a bit of a complex topic because of – which is just the nature of the beast, I guess, and, and excuse the pun, but um, it is just the way that part of the world is um, and, and the way that species is because of the, the lack of access. So you're right, they, they are the, the Coburg Peninsula in the Northern Territory is the only place where you can hunt free-range Bantang in the world. Yep. Um, Bantang are, are critically endangered in their native range as a wild animal, so wh- where they're actually still wild in some small pockets of Southeast Asia, they're um, they're almost extinct. So they have been um, domesticated in some places, like you see them in Bali, just being used as like a domestic farm sort of farm stock, like for pulling ploughs and stuff like that. And people just have them all over Bali and different places like that. And um, Ours were introduced in 18-something, I think in the 1850s or 1860s at Port Essington, which was going to be Darwin basically. So there was a there was a, a, the very first settlement up that way where they were going to put Darwin, which was out on Coburg Peninsula. Um, they brought them over as well as Samba deer. So, um, and they had other stuff as well. But, yeah, the, the Bantang and Samba were there for meat. And the, the settlement sort of lasted for, I think, about 10 years. And knowing the soil type, up there and the climate and whatever they the poor buggers must have tried pretty hard for for yeah ten or so years and then the settlement ended up failing they just couldn't they couldn't make it work so the bantang and samba got out or they were just left to their own devices and went wild and um, that's what that's why we've still got them there today so it's I don't know what the population is I did did know a while ago but I think it's in the range of ten to fifteen thousand or something like that got another which is which is more than it more, it could even be way more than that. I might be way out, but there's there's many there's many more bantang there on Coburg than what there is in their wild native range. Yep. So it's it's a really interesting scenario that just because they were brought there as part of that that settlement back in those days, and now they've gone wild and are now technically a feral animal in Australia and technically a pest. It's a really critical, like from a conservation point of view point of view it's a it, there's it's a super critical thing that they're still there and they're in good numbers and they they probably always will be i can't imagine ever there being a time that the northern territory government or anyone else decides to wipe them out unless there was some major disease outbreak like um yeah if there was maybe if there was some really serious reason maybe they would try and wipe them out but i yeah. can't hopefully that never happens but it's a unique situation um in terms of in terms of hunts, there's 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 always options to hunt them. There is there's always outfitters that have um, access to um, to concessions and access to land. It's all indigenous land. Yep. So there's no there's no free range bantang that I know of that are that are that are that are on private land. There's a, there's there's a couple of cases of yeah like bantang and yeah there's a couple of cases on like there is one station where they're basically fenced in and there's a couple in Queensland that are that are basically fenced in as well. But they're not like in terms of real true free range Bantang, they're all on indigenous owned land. Yep. Um so therefore um there's a there's kind of a I guess a framework of, of um regulation that comes with that. 
and you've got to be um, yeah to, to legally hunt Bantang on, on indigenous land you've got to you've got to be within that framework and you've got to be legally sort of compliant with it so that kind of bumps up the cost so yep. the NLC the Northern Lands Council sort of um, have a lot of say and a lot of play in how how that works um, so yeah and it's it's a good it's a great thing like just just having that um, having those hunts happening up there and it, it provides a really awesome uh, sustainable sort of industry and income for the traditional owners up there so it is a really it is a really handy thing um, for them to be able to utilize that resource and and make something out of it if those bantang and buffalo weren't there at all like there's not much there's there's people who go up there fishing and stuff like that maybe but if you look at the if you look at the if you look at the uh, financial input into those areas that comes from hunting each year that comes from trophy hunting it's 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 substantial it's quite a it's quite a bit so it's really it's really a good thing for for, for them. Um, there's been different times over the last sort of several years where there's been um, different opportunities to hunt in different places, both inside inside the national park. So it's legal to hunt inside. Um, the national park up there, Cove Peninsula, the uh, national park, which takes up most of the peninsula, and there's also has been or well, there have been opportunities to hunt outside the park as well on on just um, normal indigenous land. But yep. um, similar to a lot of things, the price the prices seem to continue to, to rise. Um, Demand, I guess. Yeah, and also the fact that the the US market and the European market, so the yeah. the guys that are coming over from those kinds of places that really want to hunt a bantang they they're, they're usually guys that sort of money's not a real issue so they like the outfitters and, and whatever i guess the outfitters and and the people who are running um who are running the show know what they can get for them so yeah, they're gonna charge it makes it hard for aussies yeah it, it makes it hard for, for i guess for for normal aussie hunters to to go and nail one it, it is a hard situation i know a lot of most people in australia are just like with the standard prices that are up there at the moment, like most Aussies just aren't going to want to hunt a Bantang enough to save that amount of money up to go and do it, yep. which is a sad thing that, that, that it's kind of not going to happen for a lot of people. Um, so, yeah, and there's a lot of politics up there too, I should mention, like there's, 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 which makes things very difficult at times. So things can change at the drop of a hat mm-hmm. and that's just the way things are. It's not – it's not um, – yeah, it's just it's just the way it is up in that particular part of the world. The politics, and particularly sort of family family politics, and um, and also politics between the outfitters and between the different regulators and whatever. It, it makes it a complex. It, it is a complex place to go and hunt, but there is opportunities. And even one outfitter that I work with up there, even today, like he's he's booking hunts up there for this year and. Um, we're not talking. We're not. We're still talking fairly big dollars um, c- compared to compared to anything else in Australia, but still reasonably affordable. But um, it is a tricky one. So, but yeah, I, I encourage people to get in touch. Like if they, if anyone is interested in having a yarn about that, those opportunities, yeah, feel free to get in touch, and I can have a chat with you about what the what the different opportunities are and, and how it all works. But um, yeah, I mean that's the go, and and I think you know the big thing is once again, yeah, you've got the connections. Um, you know, it's it, it's pretty it's pretty well guaranteed. I mean, it can change at the goalpost, but you, you've had a pretty good run, and I've only heard good reports coming back. So, um, yeah, it's just a matter of crossing it. Yeah, I guess 
you know, crossing your T's, dotting your I's, uh, yeah. make sure everything's in line and, you know, the communication is there. I think that's the big thing as well. Um, that's right. Yeah. Everybody knows what's going on. Yeah. But, no, there are opportunities and it's, yeah, there's 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 ways to, yeah, there's ways to make it happen, I guess. If you if you really want to go on, if you really want to go and hunt a bantang, there'll be a way you can make it happen. Yep. So, um, yeah, there's, there's, there, there are opportunities out there. So it's, it's, um, yeah, you've got to know your, you've got to know your stuff and you've got to know how it all works and, and sort of figure it out. Yeah. Um, and, and there are plenty of, well, there's a few good, op- there's a few good operators and, and outfitters up there that are doing an awesome job. And, um, yeah, like the, the hunt we had up there with, Tom last year was um, was just absolutely awesome. Like it, it's a, it's such a special place. It, it's it's so unique for me compared to anywhere else I've been. Like being able to sort of camp at the top of a beach and um, yeah, like just it's just the, the blue of the water up there is a blue that you don't see anywhere else in the world. And then you've got the stark contrast to the to the red the red rock of the the cliffs and and shorelines and everything. And um, the fishing's absolutely off its head. It's like no one's. It, it, it's like it's it's imagine a place where no one's ever ever fished. It's like that. Yeah. It's just teeming with fish, Hard to get um, and crabs, and yeah, and and um, yeah, there's bantang everywhere. There's there's huge numbers of them, and they're not the hardest animal to hunt. To be honest, they're not. Um, they're not. They're not. They're not super hard to get with a bow. I wouldn't rate them that that hard, really. Yep. Uh, they switched on, and they're a big animal. But yeah, I'd I'd almost say that buffalo are probably probably more difficult to stalk i reckon i think that buffalo are generally a bit more switched on than, yep. than bantang so if you get up there it's not sort of it's not like you're, you're probably going to know one if you get the opportunity you're probably going to get one which one's um, crank, which one's crankier scrubbles by yeah, far i was, I was, just, I was yeah. waiting for that <laughs> yeah crank, no, scrub, cranky devils yeah scrubbles are like everyone's probably got a different opinion but in my experience scrubbles are yeah, they I've never had anything just attack me for no reason whatsoever with no with no sort of um for no reason, you know, yep. like not, I've seen that several times with scrubbers just out of the blue, just no no prompting whatsoever. Um and I, and Bantang, yeah, they I'm sure they can fire up and just like Buffalo do, they've got the ability, they've got the animal has the ability to get aggressive and fight back. Absolutely. Like same as any of those bovine yeah. species, but um yeah, in my experience, I haven't had any, I haven't had any dramas yet. I haven't had any close shaves or anything yep. like that. They've sort of, it's all been over and done with pretty quickly. And um, and yeah, the the cultural experience too. Like it's just, you just get a special feeling. Um, you, it's hard to describe, but once you cross, um, once you cross Kale's Crossing, and 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 you're sort of basically in in Arnhem Land, and you're going across those. Those big floodplains and beautiful big swamps, and it's just amazing. There's there's plenty of amazing art, like artwork and stuff that you can see, like um, paintings and whatever, just off the That's road so cool. that you can stop and have a look at. And it's got a special feeling as soon as you as soon as you sort of get out of Jabiru, Yeah, it's got a very special feeling to it. That country, and um, yeah, we were lucky enough to share camp with um, a young fella who's a who's a direct. Um, He's a direct traditional owner, so his descendants were the were the, or sorry, his ancestors were the traditional owners of of the Coburg area. Yep. Um, so he was in camp with us last year, and yeah, just some of the stories and and some of the things that he shared with us in camp um, was just just mind blowing. I could just sit back and listen to him for for hours and hours around around the fire. Um, so the the whole experience of going up there is is special, 
And um, yeah, it, it's it's generally going to cost you a bit to get in there, but if you do, it's a it's a real once in a, it's a proper once in a lifetime yeah. um, experience. Genuine one. And probably another little plug, something that's probably been totally forgotten about now, but I I did shoot a movie up there a few years ago too. Did you? Uh, if you yeah, yeah. If it's a if you we made a DVD and everything. Yeah. What's it called? So if you um, if you just Google Silent Pursuits Final Frontier, the short film is called Final Frontier. We were um, we were a finalist in the Full Draw Film oh, Festival. Oh yeah, I have but, seen. Um, yeah, I have seen that. Yeah, yeah. So that gives you a good idea of what the country's like and what Bantang are like. That's the guy. Um, but it's it, it it's it's almost forgotten about that video now. But it's still it's still online on Vimeo on that. So if you if you can Google that and have a look, it's yeah, a yeah, check it out. Good little film we made. Yeah, that now yeah, I do. <laughs> what year was that? Oh, uh, the hunt was in two thousand fourteen, and um, we would have made that film. Uh, early 2015, I think the I think the full draw film tour was sort of yeah I think it was early 2015 yeah yeah so we we were a finalist but we didn't quite we couldn't quite take the top spot but um, gave it a crack anyway. But yeah, that's the go. Yeah, mate. Um, oh geez, we'll go to the next one. Back to uh, I want to go back to the ibex for a sec actually. Um, how did that come about? I mean, I know you're, you've got the Ibex bug. I know that. So that's got a, a bit to do with it. But, you know, what made you choose, you know, the mid-Asian, you know, to give us a little bit of a backstory to how that, that hunt come about. Yeah, that's a good question because I, I'm going to have to um, strain my brain a bit to actually remember. But, um, so Ben's, had, think... Ben's got all his notes down there. He didn't have that one down there. Yeah. <laughs> I've got a rough idea, and it's probably semi-accurate, but I go um go with that one. Mid-Asian ibex is sort of, I guess, out of all the ibex um, across a like the Asian ibex, so anything sort of, I guess, true Asia, so east of east of Turkey. Um, yeah, the mid-Asian is probably the most obtainable, and they're probably one of the most impressive, really. Like they're. Like anyone that if you think like if you if you don't know much about ibex and you and you think you think of an ibex, that's probably what you're thinking of. One of them. Yep. Um, they're 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 solid. They're one of the bigger bodied um, species of ibex. There's I can't remember how many subspecies of ibex there are, but there's probably about fifteen or fourteen or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got very impressive horns. They get they get big heavy horns. They they get those proper sort of. Um, those proper knobs and ridges all the way along the horns, whereas something like a bezoar has small knobs on the front on the front ridge, but they don't have the proper thick uh, ridges around the whole circumference of the horn. Yep. Um, similar to the Spanish ibex, they're sort of fairly smooth, like um, like our goats here. They're not not too dissimilar in the horns, but they're just a really impressive ibex, and they're probably the most obtainable. So there's there's, there's others in that area, like the. The Himalayan ibex, which is in Pakistan, which is not too far away, sort of south, and then you've got the Altai ibex, which is a is fairly closely related to the Mid Asian, and it's up in um, in Russia, um, and I think they're in northern uh, Kazakhstan as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's I guess they're and they're, and they're well priced too, so they're very affordable. So. Yep. The hunts, the hunts range in price, I guess, um, between different outfitters in different areas and between different countries. So, um, for example, Kyrgyzstan is probably the most affordable spot to chase. Whereas if you go to Tajikistan, it's it's a bit more. And um, yeah, there's, there's some outfitters are charging sort of twelve grand US, and some might charge five. 
you know, like there's a fair bit of Massive variation there. Isn't there. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea originally came, I think it was Corey and I on a tar trip a fair few years ago that I don't know how it was first. Like I've always had IBEX in my head since I was pretty young, so it's always sort of been floating around there. But I think Corey and I started to froth a little bit about four or five years ago and we sort of had this plan to, to go and, um, yeah, we just – I think I sort of started doing the research and started to figure things out and spoke to a few different booking agents and whatever and, um, yeah, we ended up choosing one particular booking agent and went through them and, um, yeah, the, the, the party sort of grew. So um, Baz was keen, the brown fox, he, he's always keen. It doesn't take much to fire him up. So he was he, – he jumped on board and um, his wife, Aya, as well, jumped on and um, – Nick Rodolfi and, and Jen Rodolfi, so um, and and Raf as well. So it ended up into a bit of a bit of a crew, and in that sort of a hunt, it, it's not a big. It wasn't a big deal to have a bit of a bigger crew. Yeah, um, we we did we did get split up, so we went we ended up with two different outfitters. So we weren't even in the same region. We were in completely oh, different right. regions. In yeah, there you go. Yeah. So Corey and I we were in a total like we were like a thousand k's away from them. Okay. Um. Yep. So they were all the like the others were all together in one spot, and we were. Just Corey and I were with a with a totally different outfitter. So, um, yeah. So these ideas just sort of, I guess, things just start with all of these hunts and all of these all of these um, all of these experiences. Just they're a bit like a fire. They just start with the tiniest, tiniest little spark, and it's just the the, the slightest sort of idea and um, just a little bit of interest and a little bit of excitement in a particular place to a particular species and things just seem to naturally the fire just naturally seems to grow and, and build and yeah you just take the right you just yeah it's just a case of, of researching and it's a case of fitting into your life too like we can't all just drop everything and go next week you know like it's sort of getting a plan that fits everyone and getting a good crew that's that's obviously a critical thing is yeah is is, is having a good crew like it makes all the difference having a like we just had an absolute ball, particularly before and after the hunt. We just, we just, um, yeah, it was just crazy in um, in Bishkek, the, the capital city. Like before we left and and after, and and just the, the excitement levels and everyone just yeah frothing to the absolute max and sort of yeah, that's all part of the experience. You know, it's not just the hunt and just the shot and and just the kill and and that kind of thing. Like that that whole it's a whole package. And, yeah, definitely. And, and, and the people that you share it with is, I find, a big part of what you get out of the experience. And I, I still like hunting by myself sometimes as well. Like there's some hunts that I'll just go and do by myself, and I enjoy that as well. Yep. But, um, I do enjoy going in a crew, and you, I'm sure you probably agree. You you've done both. Yep. And, um, yeah, you know what it's like, eh? But, well, um, and I think that's, you know, we harp on about the whole adventure thing, but, you know, when you, when you are putting so much effort into it, like, you know – Traveling to Asia, you know that's that's not an easy feat. You know, there's a lot involved, and and when you're hunting with a bow, you know, it's, and it's throwing a and, and and not taking discredit to from either weapon, but you know, you you've got to go over there with some kind of like you did. You know, you, you come away with that as a little bit of humble pie, but you know, the experience was yeah. exceptional. You had a great crew. It just it just writes it. It just signs it off. Yeah, it's. Yeah, that's exactly right. And and there's certain hunts I think, like I guess I guess with any hunt you can't you've got to be realistic about expectations and um, anything can happen on any hunt. It doesn't matter what it doesn't matter where it is in the world or what species it is or yeah, anything can happen on any hunt. 
But there are some hunts that you really have to lower your expectations and really expect nothing. And that's one of those hunts. If you're going to go and hunt something like a mid-Asian Ibex with a bow, you've basically got to expect absolutely zero. Yep. And you, if you get a shot, or, if, or even better, if you nail one, you've got to realise you've done exceptionally, exceptionally well. Yeah. So, yeah. so that, that's the kind of hunt where you've got to have zero expectations at all. Um, and like, there's plenty of species like that. There's plenty of hunts like that where you've really got to go in with with zero. And I did. I, I knew I was due. I knew I was due for a for, to, to miss out. I really did. I had. It, I felt it in. I felt it before you even left. And um, I was just stoked that it, I would have been so pissed off if. If I had a nail one and say Corey didn't like, yeah, um, yeah I would have. I would if 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 he if he could have come to me before the hunt and if I could speak to the hunting gods and the hunting gods said to me, look, it's either you or Corey. You can't both have one. I would have said Corey because he was he was due, you know, like he was yeah. due for a bit of a. Yeah. He was due for a bit of um yeah for something awesome like that, and I was I was due to miss out, and um but I like I said I'm I'm just stoked that I get an opportunity to go back there. Like I just can't wait to get back there. Eh? What's your dates this year? Um, it's sort of mid-November, so we're going quite a bit later. Um, yep. Yeah, last year we were there. Um, Jesus, when was that? I think it was um, September. So, yeah, I think we did the Coburg trip sort of like right at the end of August and then went over there early September, which, you know, the, the booking agent that we went through kind of sent us, we were like the first hunters for the year for, for that, yeah, for, for, for Ibex and, the booking agent sort of said afterwards that he was worried that um, that because we were wearing bulky clothing that our strings might catch on our clothes. And I, I was like, geez, like that's – we sort of have our shit together a bit better than that, you know. Like we know like we know kind of what we're doing a little bit. Yep. Yeah, so we were too early and I sh- we should have – not that we should have. We had an awesome time. So there's no point in me saying well, we should have done this or we should have done that. We yep. nailed it as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But it was a lot harder because it was early and the – um later they they come right down so they so they were much higher up and some of the places we went to um and some of the places we forced horses into was just beyond comprehension like i when they when they were sort of pointing at these far away saddles and saying we go there i thought they were joking just to just to just to sort of stir us up but they weren't joking they were we were going we were going there yeah and um yeah, and that was just the nature of, of hunting early, I guess, in, in that sort of September period. But, yeah, November's going to be – I can't wait to see what it's like in November. It's, there's going to be a lot more snow. It's going to be colder. Um, certain factors are going to be more difficult and, and there's going to be certain things that are harder. Yep. Um, but I think the the chant, from what we learned this year in terms of what where the Ibex get to and how they behave and, um, and, 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 yeah, what it's like at that time of year, I think we're going to have a much better chance and um, – yeah, there's a couple of like Baz is going for a Marco Polo this year, the the mad bugger, and um, yeah, one of his mates is coming along as well to to chase Marco. So um, they'll be they'll be with rifle. I'm just purely going for for Ibex with the bow, and yeah, there's there's still plenty of spaces. Um, yeah, we might even add a few more. Like you can easily accommodate sort of like five or six people in that okay. spot, no, no problem. So that yeah. we might end up with a bit of a bigger crew and there's there's, there's plenty of spots either side of that as well. So there's, yeah, there's plenty of opportunities for that for that hunt later this year. But What elevation so, are you on that? Mate, we got two. Um, uh, let me get this right. We got to between 12 and 
12 and 15,000 feet roughly were up around. And the yeah. highest I got to was, oh, God, was it was it was a little bit over 4Ks high. So let me, if you just give me two seconds, I can check for sure because I took the screenshot. But I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm 90% certain we were at 4,000. I think the highest we got was 4,300 metres. So if you do the... For oh, those who work in feet, yeah. So we got we got altitude sickness, like we um like, we all experienced it a bit. That's where I was going with this question. Yeah, and that's one of the most spun out things I've ever experienced, to be honest. Um, it was just, it was it was just a very 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 strange um thing to experience, and um, it's it's not fun, and particularly Corey suffered the worst. I think he copped it worse out of out of anyone. Yep. Um, it really does. It is. It is really a serious consideration when you go on there. And I think if you go later in the year, you're not. You're just not going to get up as high. Yeah. Gotcha. So you, yeah. You're, you're probably. What probably was your, not going to. What was your symptoms, time. mate? Um. Yeah. So I just pulled up that screenshot. So I took a screenshot when I was at four thousand three hundred and sixty meters of elevation. Yeah. Holy shit. So yeah, it was pretty hectic. Um. You you sort of. Um, God, how do you explain it? Corey lost his – Corey sort of – he really struggled. Like when we, were, when we were up high on – it was the second day, we were climbing up this absolutely almost vertical sort of rock slide that you had to – you just were climbing. They couldn't – there was a scree slope to the side of this sort of rocky slope, so it was more sort of loose material on one side, and it was just almost straight up to get up to this saddle. And they couldn't even get the horses up there with no without people on them, so the, the horses – just couldn't physically get up that that slope, and uh, they just left them. They just left them on on the scree slope, like halfway up. They just couldn't couldn't. They were whipping them and like really getting into them, trying to get them up, and they would not go. So only half the horses ended up up there. Yeah. Um. Definitely headaches and 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 complete um, nausea. Like I've always not quite understood what nausea is because I've never had it. I've never in my life sort of understood what nausea actually is because I haven't experienced it, but. I had bad nausea, and now I know exactly what that is. Yeah. Um, at that elevation, you you just can't get enough um, oxygen into your lungs, so you literally can only you, 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 your capacity to to do anything physical, even walking on flat ground, like even walking say thirty meters on flat ground, just completely takes the wind out of you because your body is not used to getting that low sort of concentration of, of oxygen in, in yep. the air so um for us that just aren't used to it and have never been in that sort of country like the the kirgi guys they, they're used to it so they're they're up there drinking coke and and smoking durries and they're just <laughs> they're, they're just totally used to it so their bodies are completely completely adjusted to it but for us um yeah, Corey was Corey was proper sick on that on that second day, which was the first big climb that we got up, and we spiked out up on top of this saddle that night, basically just on rocks. And and um, yeah, I I was at points just exhausted, like like walking through snow and rocks, and like you couldn't sort of it was that snowy sort of snow covered rocks where you can't see what's underneath, so you've got to be ultra careful as it is yeah. to just maintain footing. Yeah, and there was so many moments. Yeah, like every every bit of it, sort of hard work, even to just even just to go two hundred meters or to try and get up into an ambush point or whatever. But so many times, I my whole brain and body would just shut down, and I would just stare into space and just stare up at something in the sky or a cloud or something, and I just couldn't do anything more than that, other than just stare in one direction 
and just wait and I'd eventually my body would somehow eventually build up the energy or the whatever to to continue on but um wow. yeah I had uh, Diamox so I, I did get Diamox which is the which is the recommended um drug for um for dealing with um with elevation sickness and did you do any both. preventive stuff mate like did you do anything no the hunt? I didn't and the, the doctor I did go to a travel doctor and had a yarn to him about it and he said look Diamox, you can you can use it uh, in two ways. You can use it as a preventative or as a as a as a cure sort of thing. So you can use it as a as a medicine if it actually happens. Yep. So I guess and 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 our crew had sort of done a fair bit of research, and a lot of the guys were sort of pretty um, convinced that um, just plain old um, ibuprofen like Nurofen was was going to do pretty much the same job or yep. or be a good thing to combat. To combat the the um, impacts of elevation, so they were sort of no one else had Diamox, I don't think. I think they all just had Nurofen, and um, they didn't seem to have issues over where they were. But I think they weren't as high as us. Yep. They didn't get sort of the same elevations. But Corey and I had both. We both had a Diamox, and um, Corey was throwing. Up. I threw up on the first the first night we're up in that camp. Like I just I threw up. I couldn't eat. Um, had a Diamox. Woke up in the morning, and I was basically fine in the morning and ready to go. And um, Corey was still feeling pretty shit, but he he managed to get through it. And uh, we did some after it hit us real hard. We're pretty much right after that. So yeah, the next day, sure. was, the next day we did some really tough climbs and got up into some crazy spots. But we sort of managed a bit better. So I think once you get one good hit of it at the beginning, mm-hmm. you sort of you sort of deal with it. Yep. Yep. Um, after that, but um, yeah, but it was an interesting thing to experience and. I, I would recommend Diamox if you go like if you're going to go to that kind of four thousand meter sort of range. I, I think it's a good handy thing to have in your in your pack because it costs like fifty bucks or something. So I think it's worth doing. Most definitely. I just, mm. the, I just did a calculator thing. You're fourteen thousand three hundred and six feet. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So, three hundred and four. It was. Sorry, but it's like another planet. Like um, it was just like another planet and. That's where they are. Like that's that's just where they're living yeah. at that time. So they they they're able to feed. They they stay right up in the high stuff uh, during the day, and then they feed down. Or the early morning or late afternoon, a little bit like I've seen Tardu um, come down to feed wherever the grass is. So they they're bedding way above where there's any vegetation. There's nothing growing there. There's not even there's barely even lichen on the rocks. Like it's just zero. Shit. Um, but they'll come down the mountain and and come to the fir- the the highest little patches of grass that they can that they can chew on. That's where they'll that's where they'll feed. Mm-hmm. Um, and mobs of mobs of like I saw mobs of like thirty or forty billies in in one mob, like and wow. mostly crackers sort of thing. Like yeah, just amazing thing, amazing thing to see. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, I, I I can't believe how pumped you must be to go back there in November. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, like um, yeah, I've just got to go and give it another shot. You know, like and um. It's, it's um we we're gonna go to the the area where Baz and his and, and that crew were so we're yeah, gonna okay. go over to, yep. to that, that area it seemed that I think the outfit there was um yeah just a, quite a bit better organized and and it was sort of a, a better camp and there was a there was a lot of animals there and yeah it was it, it just seemed that there was it was funny because when we were there or when Corey and I were in camp we were like um, we'd we'd been told by the booking agent that we needed to have all of our food for every day that we needed to be ready to be spiking out the whole time and that it was that it was going to be a 10-day hunt. Um, so we had taken all this stuff over, prepared for spiking out, including all of our own food for 10 days and tents, 
like imagine doing it like a backpack trip anywhere in the world for 10 days like yep. we were prepared for that when we got there um yeah like we Corey and I spiked out the first night and then after that we were back at the at the little house in the little this little tiny village like every night we didn't spike out once after that and they were feeding us the most awesome local sort of foods like oh, proper man. authentic Kogi foods it was a big spread for breakfast and um yeah, like that they fed us like kings. So we yep. just had all this food that we didn't need and we just sort of left it there and gave it away kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we were a bit disapp- we were a bit disappointed in in that in being, I guess, misinformed um in terms of how the hunt was gonna be uh, yep. by that booking agent. And on about the fourth day we found out that it was actually a seven day hunt, not ten. Oh, so which wasn't Corey had nailed his Ibex by this stage, and I still thought I had a fair few days up my sleeve, but suddenly yeah. I had two days up my sleeve. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and you can't sort of say, oh, no, but we thought it was 10, and, you, like, it's just that was it, it was seven. And they're the kind of things that, like, those kind of details are what, that's that's what you can't, like, if you're going to, if you're going to, if you're going to organise hunts for people, they're the kind of details that have to be absolutely bang on. And I... Not very forgiving when it comes to um, yeah, like that that that's it, it's inexcusable. Yep. It's inexcusable. All of those things are inexcusable. We should have known exact. We should have known that we weren't going to be spiking out every night, mm-hmm. um, and we should have absolutely known, especially since we signed a contract that it was yeah. a, it was a seven day hunt, not ten. Things like that, you know. So they're the kind of things that I like these learnings and seeing seeing things done well and seeing things done right. Um, yeah, they're, they're, they're good learnings for, for, for setting people up in the future. Yeah, definitely. And I spent, I guess, you know, something to think about as well for guys when they're doing these big ones is the one thing that you can't get around is weather. Um, obviously, you guys had, you know, relatively good weather, I understand. But, you know, that's where we sort of push. I always ask the question, sort of when I'm booking stuff, I'll always ask for extra days. Um, you know, they, they'll advertise six or seven day hunts, but I'll say, I want 10. Oh, no, I can't do it. And I said, yeah, I'll book with you if you can do 10 days, if we can have 10 days up our sleeve. So it's yeah. always a good question to sort of ask. And um, yeah. you know, obviously, you know, the benefit is that you know these things and, you know, you, you can handle that. Yeah, and you'll find that most most hunts or every hunt that I can sort of think of that like where there's that option to, to, to have extra days, and I can't think of too many that are going to turn you down. No. Um, if you do request extra days, it's it's usually a very reasonable rate per day. Yeah, the day rate is quite, quite good because you're already there. Yeah, you're in there. Yeah, and for the for, when you look at the expense that it's when you think about the investment of the travel and 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 all the work that you've done to make that happen in terms of saving and 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 like saving the money to do it and your flights and all the gear that you had to buy and all the little um, peripheral costs as well, like. Um, the the cost of adding a couple of extra days is sort of pretty it's pretty meaningless. So you if you've got that opportunity, that's a really good thing to bring up. Like that's that's if, if you've got that opportunity, you really should do it. You should be especially bow hunting because you want as many days as you can have on the ground. And um, if you do have extra days at the end, who cares? You, you're going to enjoy yourself. You, there's always like something else to do. You, there'll be fishing or small game or whatever. To um, there'll be something to do. You'll be you'll be entertaining yourself. You're not going to be Sitting there twiddling your thumbs, so um, yeah, that's a really good point. You really should go righto. Let's 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 see how much it's going to be. Just to add three or like two or three or four or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Whatever so, they can generally do because they've generally got a few day layover between the next hunter as well. So yeah. if you're prepared, you know, I've just found 
yeah, obviously I can only talk for the, the state stuff, but you know, generally they'll have a guy that's saying, oh, look, you know, if you pay the guy the extra few days, you'll be right. Like it's not even actually the outfitter, it's just the guide that you're putting out. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, I've, I've had good luck with it. And, um, and it's always, especially if you go into an area that, uh, you know, weather can be dicey when you've hunted up North America, you know, Alaska's and BC's and that, you know, you can have a couple of three, four days exactly. gone, yeah. you know. Uh, been fogged out of that. New Zealand's much the same. So, exactly. Um, yeah, just, you know, they're little things that I guess, you know, we experience it and something to consider. Yeah. No, it's a really valid point. And, um, yeah, if you are, you, you, for the cost of it, it's totally, totally worth it. After the hunt, you're going to, you, you're definitely going to be thinking, God, I'm glad I, I'm yep. glad I paid that little bit extra for those extra days. Yeah. And no matter what the hunt is. You shoot something first or second day. You just have a holiday from there on. Like yeah. you're just kicking around or generally, yeah, as you said, you, know, you go shoot something else as, you know. Yeah. Um, like Corey, Corey, for example, started making little bows for the for the yeah. kids in, in the village there and he was making these mad little bows and showing them how to shoot. And <laughs> he, was out, he was out shooting um, gophers, which are this this super weird-looking animal that, you, yeah, you, that neither of us had ever seen before, so he nailed a few of them and, there was something yeah, like, he'd find it. Yeah, yeah you, you keep yourself entertained. Yeah, it doesn't matter where it is in the world. There's gonna be, there's gonna be, there's gonna be things to keep yourself entertained. And um, yeah, so it's totally worth it. It's a really good point to bring up. Awesome, man. Well, I'm gonna hit you with a big one because there's been some cracking fallow pitches getting flooded around for the last couple of years, <laughs> especially your mongrel of a thing. I should say that's, that's disrespectful. The giant of a thing, um, mate. We've touched on Bulgaria before if people have listened to the podcast in the early days, but um, now this is a pretty special place, Matt. I know it's a little bit involved, but I'll let you take the take the lead on this one. But tell us a little bit about Bulgaria and the fallow. Um, I know there's a lot of early hunting there as well. So, um, yeah, hit us with it, mate. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's got a lot of interest, really, it's, which is good to see. Um, yeah, there's, there's, I've, I've sent out information to countless people over the last few months and um, – yeah, a bunch of a bunch of Aussie guys went over there last year. There was a couple um, couple of guys that went over on, with their rifles, and um, there was about I think there was seven seven bow hunters that went over. Plenty of plenty of guys that have been on the podcast before went over there and had a mad time. And um, yeah, it was sort of I guess um, I guess I sort of talked a bit about Bulgaria age like years ago when we did that first podcast, and that was when I was really just starting to explore the place a bit. But mm. what happened was there was um, there was like I'd sort of nailed a few different species, and the one that I really hadn't sort of got yet was the fallow. And um, I'd seen these photos, like the, the the outfitter that I work with over there, he'd sh- he'd showed me a few photos of some of these heads that had come from this spot, and I was like, wow, that's these are some pretty special fallow. And um, yeah, so I'd booked a hunt. I, I barely um, that was in October 2018, and um, yeah, Murph joined me for that. Brad Murphy went over to the States hunting elk and then dropped into – he actually flew around the world. He flew to the States and then flew to Europe, did the hunt in Bulgaria and then, then flew back to Australia, so he literally flew around the world. But, um, yeah, so it just – that hunt was just crazy and I, I won't sort of go into too much detail about that. But, um, yeah, we, we were just blown away that hunt and I, I shot that big fellow that is um, – yeah, like he's a, he's, a, he's a pretty special animal. Like he's, he's – um, he was like the fourth fourth biggest – um, fellow that's ever been recorded in Bulgaria with with any weapon, and he goes about three hundred and two or three hundred and three and something six eights in the Douglas system, and I think 
we measured him at 280 something in SCI. So he's by far the biggest, he's by far the world record. Like it's been confirmed with SCI. So that's pretty cool. Um, in terms of in terms of free range, is it's by yeah easily the the free range um, world record with a bow. But um, I was even more impressed. Like that was a freak that thing, and that was I was very lucky to have that opportunity. But the boys that went last year, or the, the fellows that went last year, they just absolutely cleaned up. I think there was, I think there was even better quality of heads and quantity of good heads around last year from what from what the guys um, sort of um, took last year. Um, yeah, they all, everyone that went last year nailed a real cracker. Yep. Um, a few, like there was obviously a mixed bag. Like some guys missed missed a couple of shots or whatever. Like there was. There was some people sort of did it pretty easy, and others sort of did it pretty like had to work and sort of didn't make it happen until the last minute kind of thing. But everyone got it done, and they were all huge bucks. So I guess for people who are used to Douglas, the Douglas system, I guess last year the the, the guys that went, um, I think all of them were sort of within that two fifty to two eighty Douglas oh, range. Shit. Yep. Um, and that's kind of what you can expect. I think if you if you if you're lucky, you're going to be over that 280. Like there's going to be the odd one that's sort of 280 to yeah, 300. Yeah, but to to shoot something like not everyone's going to go there and shoot a 300. So like that's that's a, that's a very special animal. But obviously the genetics are there. I went there randomly. I don't know. Like I just turned up there and that thing just happened to be there. And I happened to see him and I hunted him and I got him. And then as I was as I was trying to show my missus how to use the camera and, um, yeah, trying to get some photos of it just before the sun went down, Tom Randa just happened to pull up in a Russian Jeep and, like, <laughs> the, the buck literally died on, on the track, like, on a track that he was coming back down. So that was how I met Tom, just so That's randomly. So like, it was, yeah, it was beyond belief. But Was he hunting with the same no, crew? Yeah, yeah, he just yeah, happened yeah. to turn up that day. So I, I knew it was him because I'd, I'd – um, I was like Marcello and I were hiding in a just hiding behind this little bush next to a massive scrape, and it was kind of a bit of a funnel where I'd, I'd noticed a lot of bucks passing through there. So we we're waiting there in the afternoon, and um, I saw this little jeep. Like the reason why we were by ourselves, like we'd, we'd opted to go by ourselves, was because they um, they said, "Oh, look, we're a bit short of vehicles this afternoon. Do you mind?" Um, we just went with our translator, who's not technically a guide that's employed at that spot he does a bit of guiding but he's sort of more of the translator so he just dropped us out there because there wasn't quite enough vehicles because one of the guides had to go and pick up this american bow hunter and uh, we didn't know who it was and anyway my channel and i were just were just sitting on this scrape and we could hear like there was just massive commotion down in the forest like just it sounded like moose were down there like there was just trees getting smashed and bucks going off everywhere and just this wave of this wave of fallow rutting crazed activity was sort of coming up the mountain towards us and i saw this little jeep pull up on this far ridge like probably about two k's away like they'd come up a different sort of a, a track like a different farm track up the side of the mountain and i got my binos up onto the onto the jeep and i saw the the bulgarian guide mamed that i already knew I, I recognized him and then i saw this other big guy get out and i could tell he had a camera and then there was this bow hunter and i could see he had a bow and i was like he's he's got a cat quiver and I knew, like, no one uses a cat, let's face it, no, yep. no one uses a cat quiver these days except for Tom. So, yeah, straight away, I, re- I knew it was him, even through my binos at 2Ks, I could tell it was him. So I, <laughs> I, knew, it was, I knew it was him and, um, yeah, he's always been a, 
I've always been a big sort of fan. He's always sort of he's been a massive inspiration for me like over the years. And um, yeah, so I knew at that moment it was going to be a pretty fun time. And then um, yeah, half an hour later, that buck walked out and started fighting with another buck sort of in front of me. And I stalked in and um, got a perfect shot and nailed him. And yeah, it's a long it's a longer story than that. But that's the short version. But um, yeah. yeah, it was just a just a crazy sequence of events. But um, that's a that's a crazy afternoon, man. Oh, <laughs> uh, I haven't. Yeah, I haven't sort of the emotion that afternoon, like driving back, back to the back to the lodge with that animal in the in the back of the ute, and um, yeah, like I I just was peaking, absolutely peaking, like I I, I just couldn't believe what was happening, and I I've, I've never I've like fellow I've been a real nemesis species for me in Australia, like I've had a bad, pretty bad run. If if there's any animal that's been a nemesis, it's been them. Yeah, um, great number. I, and I haven't spent a lot of time hunting them. Like I've, I did a few ruts back in the day with like um, with Macker and, and Troy Reynolds and um, a couple of other mates. Like we've sort of done, I've done a bit, but I haven't sort of chased them hard. But yeah, yeah just yeah. didn't have a good run with them. So for that to have that sort of luck to, to come across a, a buck of that caliber, um, yeah, it was it was just yeah super special. Awesome. But, um, so how does yeah, the area sort of work, mate? Like how does it? Yeah, yeah, go run run us through. Yeah, um, so. It's um, there's fallow like there's fallow in a lot of different places in Bulgaria. It's a, fallow. I've got a very interesting like fallow are intriguing in terms of where they originally came from in in Europe and, and across to Turkey and whatever. Like where they actually originated and where they ended up and where they got shot out of and where they got reintroduced to. It's almost similar to what's happened in our short history in Australia with fallow. Like they've been moved around. That they don't. They're not just native to to specific areas and they haven't sort of just been there for, for, for millions of years. They've been moved around by humans for forever. Okay. Um, killed out of certain areas and then put back and yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a really detailed sort of, sort of complex history, but there's fallow all over different parts of Bulgaria and, 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 and then across the rest of Europe. So you've sort of get patches of fallow everywhere across Europe in different, different parts. But, um, these ones, yeah, that's 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 definitely known as the prime spot in terms of trophy quality in Bulgaria. It's it's got that reputation as that's where the big fellows live. Um, the land is sort of gov- it's government owned land, um, so the way it works over there, uh, the, it's basically a, like a department similar to, I guess, a combination of our like forestry department and sort of DPI. Like yeah. they're, they're kind of they look after the forestry um all the forestry stuff and the hunting okay. so um it's an interesting situation so they, they manage they manage the land and, and they manage the animals as well so they manage the, the forest side of it and the and the wildlife side of it so so they're guides and they're and they're foresters um it's 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 public oh, sorry it's it's yeah it's public land owned by the government but you've got to be um yeah you've got to be sort of with a outfitter or whatever to go there. So you can't, it's not like New Zealand for us where we can go and hunt freely on their public land. Yep. It's not like that. You can't just go there and hunt. You've got to be with a, with an outfitter. And, yep. So they're kind and, of on a concession as well in a little way. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So yeah. And with, um, I guess just, just in terms of how those hunts work, like, um, the outfitter over there, extremely organized, extremely professional. They'll pick you up from the airport in Sofia and, and drop you back there. So you don't you don't have to do anything whatsoever in terms of having to stress about running around or hiring cars or 
or um, even hotels or anything like that. You just land and then they look after everything and the, you've got a translator 24-7 and um, they're, they're always good. They're always a bunch of laughs and really fun people. Um, so so some of the guides are going to have limited English, so the translator is critical in some of those conversations. But when you're actually in the bush hunting, like you sort of you figure out how to communicate, even if you can't sort of have really complex conversations, you figure out enough to – to be able to communicate like you can tell when they're looking at a big one you don't have to sort of get out google translate and say oh is that a is that a you know what i mean like they you can when they're looking at a big one or when they you can sort of get a feel for yeah yeah their excitement sort of yeah yeah like you can you, you can you learn to communicate pretty quickly so it's not something that people should be concerned about it's very easy once you um once you're there and, the, and for more technical discussions, yeah, the translator's there and he'll be like he'll he'll literally sit he or she will literally sit there at night around the dinner table and like say if the director of the hunting area is there, there's all these different levels of management. So there'll be the the boss of that particular concession and the guides. And the guides won't necessarily sort of hang around for dinner, it'll just be the boss. And then I've had dinners where there was the boss of that area, then the boss of the region, then the then the big boss of that whole bigger region. <laughs> And like another level above that, like just all these different levels of, of management, and they're all there, and they're nice codes, and and they they're serious fellows, like they're they're serious players. <laughs> and the translator will just translate entire conversations, so I can just ask really complex questions about, say, how like game management, and or how many how many like chamois you're going to take out of this area this year, or how many tags they're going to be, or whatever. Like, and you can he'll just translate quite, um, yeah, like full full conversations for hours so you can just sit there and drink your beer and that's awesome there's no it doesn't limit you you know like the the the, the, the language barrier is not going to limit you yeah um the other thing that's that's i guess stands out over there is the you're just always going to be blown away by the by the accommodation like they they really do a sweet job with the with the lodges yeah um, just really practical well, well kept, really nice, full of trophies. Like as soon as you walk in there, there's just there's all sorts of different stuff on the walls and on the floors, and there's just something to look at everywhere. Uh, massive red deer and and shoulder mounted boars and and wolf skins and like just cool stuff everywhere. Um, and the food's really good, and the wine's really good, and, and all that sort of stuff. And and they just really look after you, so they 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 they're going to do everything for you. So. Um, most Aussies probably aren't used to that kind of, I guess in Africa, it's a little bit like that in, 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 in like hunting lodges in Africa, it's sort of, I guess the, the way they treat you and the, the kind of level of service and hospitality is kind of really, really, that's just the way it works there. But a lot, unless you've been in Africa, you probably haven't experienced that kind of, um, like having someone pick up your plate after you and you know what I mean? Like, yeah. We're not. We're just not generally. Aussies aren't generally used to that kind of yeah, surf. So it's a bit of an eye opener. Like you, it's a bit of an experience, and you just yeah, you just take it. You just take it as it comes and yep. immerse yourself in it, I guess. Um, and yeah, like the hunting, just to just to cover the hunting a little bit. Um, there's particular areas um, around those mountains uh, that where the fallow basically congregate and rut and they call them leks. And I, I hadn't heard of that term. And I'm not sure if, I'm not even sure if it's an English term or a Bulgarian term, but um, Brad would, Brad would know, but they have these leks, which is like these basically big rutting pads. And they're just like, it's just like a big fight club where they all congregate and they just, it's just fighting and um, yeah, just 
absolutely crazy rutting behaviour happening early in the morning. It must go on throughout the night and, um, yeah, and late in the afternoon. So during the day they'll go and bed up um, and sort of hide in the in the oak forest and down in, the, down in these thicker sort of valleys. But then as soon as it's, like, go time, they're all up there getting into it again. Um, and there's a high density of animals there too, so there's a lot of deer. Like, you'll just – it's nothing to see sort of – I've, I've seen sort of like I've been sitting in a spot and been able to glass like 30, 30 different bucks from the same spot without just, just sitting on a rock. Yeah. <laughs> so it's different to Australia. It's not like it's nothing like anything. It's it's nothing like any fellow hunting in Australia. It's totally yeah. different. Yeah. Um, and the only way I can really like, – it's hard to describe how crazy it is, but one thing you can do is um, Tom did a – like Tom's episode that he filmed there really does a good job of explaining it and it obviously shows – actual footage of what this is like, like how crazy it is. Um, you've never seen anything like it. And as Tom describes in that episode, um, it's already aired in the US, so I'd imagine it's on um, I think I'll some of those. You shared the link, didn't you? Oh, it's, that was just privately, yeah. That wasn't sort of – that was that was just privately. But, um, but yeah, you, you would be able to view that like on one of those pay-per-view services. Like um, I can't remember what that one's think, called. Uh, my, my outdoor my TV, it's on. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, so you'd be able to look, you'd be able to check it out. On Must there. be where I've watched it. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah, so that uh, that really gives you an idea of what it's like. Um, and I just don't think there's any animal, or I can't think of any animal or any location where anything ruts that hard and goes that crazy. Yeah, uh, like elk. Elk obviously get pretty aggressive, and and it gets pretty exciting. Nothing like that, though. Uh, yeah, moose, moose, like like moose sort of do, but they're kind of pretty spread out and dispersed around the place um red deer yeah it's it's exciting being in a valley full of roaring reds but yeah there's nothing that really i've never seen anything like how these how these animals carry on in that particular location because of the, the density of them and and the and you just don't know where to look you just don't know you don't you, you just lose the plot where do, I, where do i go what way do i go <laughs> you, do, you don't you don't know you don't know what to do next you just sort of and you really, it really stuffs your judgment because once you start looking at bucks, you, Brad and I had the had that problem straight up. Um, we just lost our gauge of what a big fellow is. Like yeah. we just got back to camp and we were just like, "Holy shit!" We just we both had the same problem. We we're just like, I don't even know what's big anymore. Like I just <laughs> like like you're just looking at some of these like some of these bucks, just going, "Oh my god!" I don't like, um, like this. Yeah, but the boys that went last year, like probably. A lot more fallow experience, like Robbie Austin and um, and uh, Macker and and Dill Wilson and and those sort of fellas. Like they've they've they're far more sort of um, they've had a lot more experience with fallow and really know yeah. them better. And they were really picky and they they knew what they wanted before they went there and they yeah. they hunted that way. You know, like they they um, they put the time in and really looked over a lot of animals and yeah, they all came away with awesome animals. Like they're they're all they're all amazing. Um, all amazing bucks, all beautiful bucks. Yep. And just to give people a rough idea, I, I worked out roughly what the costs were. So on average, um, on average, those guys that went last year like to do four full days of hunting and five nights at the lodge because they'll you'll get there. Like the way it works is you get there sort of in the afternoon on day zero, I guess, and then you've got four full hunting days, and then you'll stay there the last night and then leave the next morning. And um, yeah, they their cost roughly was around five grand Australian, okay. so including including their bucks. So bloody reasonable. Like, That's crazy. Yeah, 
Yeah, so mine was mine was quite expensive because it was it was really big. Yeah, and with with the with the trophy fees in Bulgaria and all of Europe, um, trophies individual trophies are, are, are like charged depending on their size. So um, so for things like boars and and chamois and mouflon, it's based on the length, mm-hmm. and for the deer species, it's based on the weight. So so it's basically just a like a Sliding scale. So for the fallow, it's just a sliding scale depending on the kilos. So it's yep. just the heavier the heavier it is, the more it's going to cost. And it's not just a continuous like a, a continuous line graph. It it gets it exponentially increases. So if you shoot if you shoot something really really big, it's it it, it it's going to cost a bit. You're going to get penalised for it. So it does increase. If you shoot something just big, that's like say if you shot a two. 60 fallow it's not going to break the bank at all it's yep. you might you're probably under five grand if you shoot something that's absolutely gigantic yeah it goes up and and it, there's a sliding scale for all the different species so right. yeah and but fallow are very affordable in, in terms of the different species in bulgaria like they seem to be really good value um so are the chamois and the mouflon like they're very um like you, you'll shoot a cracker and it's not going to it's not going to – you're not going to have to – Really see the difference kind of thing. Sell your house. Yeah. Yep. And um, the two that the two that are a little bit different are the boars and the red stags. If you shoot a real cracker of a boar, you you, you want to be ready for a bit of a shock because yep. they – like if you – say if you shoot something that's like 33 Douglas, it's going to be a bit painful uh, when you get the bill. If you shoot something that's like twenty nine or twenty eight, like it's it's no big issue. But the, yeah. the sliding scale starts to hurt you when they, when you can get a real big cracker European war. And same with the reds, like the gigantic reds um, start to cost a bit. But yeah, that's just getting into the specifics yeah, of it. But, um, no, but I mean, yeah. to me, these are the things that are very other bits that are left out. If that makes sense, like you read all the flash mags and all this kind of stuff, you get it on Google. As we're talking about the Google searches there before, but yeah. Um, yeah, you know, these are the things you don't get to read, and are very yeah. quickly briefed over in a contract too. <laughs> like that. Yeah, it's, you know, it's that's, easy to, that's yeah. where that disappointment comes from. When someone goes over there and gets slammed with a three thousand dollars trophy bill, and you're like, "Well, I didn't know anything about that." If you know yeah. before you go, you're cheering. You're all good. You're going to set yeah. it up. Uh, I, I um, yeah, like I think I said last time we spoke about Bulgaria. I've, and I've said it the same. I've said the same thing to a lot of mates and a lot of different people that are interested in going. I actually had a yonder frosty on the phone today, and he. I said the same thing to him on the phone today. If I could fill out a scorecard for all the different aspects of a hunt, um, and like if you if you if you sort of looked at every different aspect of the whole experience, if there was like a scorecard system, Bulgaria would still be number one for me out of any hunt I've done in the world. Yep. It's it's just it's just. Um, when you, when you when you weigh up all those different aspects, it's just so good, and it's very 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 addictive. And the best thing is, it's affordable. It's yeah. not. There's, there's other parts of Europe where things are totally unaffordable. Like there's 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 areas where, yeah, where outfitters just yeah, certain countries and certain areas and certain outfitters where it's just totally unaffordable. But Bulgaria is not like that. It's still very very good value for money, and it's a bit of a backwater, and um, it just hasn't. It hasn't had the exposure that I, I guess, like Spain and and Hungary um, and and some other countries have had. It's, yep. it's just tucked away down there, but like down next to Greece and below Romania, and yeah, it just hasn't had the 
it just hasn't had the exposure that it probably deserves. And I, I don't think things are going to change much. Like that that fellow spot's not going to change anytime soon. Yeah, um, they manage things very tightly. Their 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 game management um, knowledge and and um, practices are are really top notch. Like they really get it, and they they've been doing it forever. They've they've been managing their game since day dot. Like it's not something that's just a new. New concept team. over there yeah they've like those european countries have been managing game for for for, for probably thousands of years like yeah like yours your and my ancestors were, were managing game over there like hundreds or thousands of years ago so it's yeah. not a, it's not a new concept um so they really get it right and um yeah just just from the results last year um there's there's, there's just yeah it's an amazing spot you, you can't you won't ever understand it until you go there and, yeah. and see it Yep. And I, there's a lot of people that have been in touch. I've sent information to, I can't count how many people who have shown interest and, and are keen. Um, but the spots are limited during the rut. So obviously we don't want huge numbers of people. It's it's a, There's limited places during the rut. Get into you it. will still, that's it. You will still find them before, before the rut and after, but you really want to be there during the rut to witness that spectacle. And, um, and obviously that's the time you're going to find a big fella. Yeah. Um, Nothing's going so, to compare to that. Not in the rut. Nothing no. compared to the rut. Exactly. And there's other things that you can hunt any time. Like there's – like mouflon, you can sort of hunt – like you want to hunt them late in the year, like close, as close to winter as possible. And boars are all year, so you can hunt wild boars any time of the year. Um, reds are obviously best during the during the raw, which is just before the fallow, same as us. So there are things that are more flexible in terms of timing. Same as chamois, there's several chamois seasons per year that you can chase them. Uh, but the fallow, you really want to be there during the right. I just booked four Americans yesterday, and yeah, that like so spots are going to be spots are fairly limited now for 2020. There's still yep. a bunch of spots, but I reckon they'll probably they'll they'll be all gone by the end of the wild deer show because um, I know that there's probably well, I'm pretty sure there's going to be a fair few people keen to have a yarn about. Bulgaria down there, and um, yeah, same for twenty twenty one. There's a lot of people, a lot of people interested in booking for next year rather than this year. So yeah, if you're keen to, what I'm saying is, if you're keen to do it, if you're going to do it, you want to sort of get on it quick. And it's not much of a deposit to lock it in, and the the you won't even get your bill for the hunt until after the hunt. So the way they work it is, you won't even get your bill for for your hunt until sort of like a few weeks after you get home. So you don't have to sort of yeah, that's just how they work it. So. Um, yeah, it's Great a pretty small deposit. Up. Great way to save up. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. So you're not. Yeah, you can sort of. You got. You've got the maximum amount of time to save up. Yep. Um, and yeah, so can't ask for much more than that. That's awesome. Yeah, it's pretty. They're pretty relaxed about it, and um, yeah, the, it's 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 a, such a quality outfit, and it's just a mind-boggling place to visit. It's um, yeah, I I can't wait to get back there myself. I'm gonna. I'm hopefully gonna try and sneak over this way, this year. Uh, to hunt roe deer because I haven't I haven't nailed a roe deer yet. So, yep, yep. What's, trying... the, what's the likelihoods of putting a red and fallow hunt together? Like one oh, the other? Absolutely easy. Oh, easy. don't tell me that. Yeah. So, and like, I don't know if you've seen photos of the reds there, but oh my God. Like, yeah, they're off their like, heads. They're that's the it. real, that's that's the real proper native reds. Like, they're, they're native. Like, they're, they're proper native. They've always been in those forests, and that is the, all that country over on the west, like in sorry, Eastern Europe, like Romania and down into down into those Bulgaria, down into the Balkans and that, like that's proper, proper red deer country and that's where they come from, you know, like what and they, they obviously extend what do they run out price wise a bit they'd be a little bit more expensive. 
I think that big fella I shot, I think the price tag on him was about, um, I think he was 1,800 euros, and he was, I think he was seven kilos, that, that, yeah. that stag. And he was, he was, he was a bit of a, um, he wasn't like, he was uneven. Like he was, I think he was like a five by 10 or something like that, or five by nine or something like that. Like he was, he, I think he's only got five on one side and I think nine on the other. But yeah, so he was a bit of, yeah, he wasn't a, he wasn't a classical, perfect, symmetrical head, um, and that's why I was allowed to take him because that, because that already he was he was basically a cult. Like that, yep. technically, he was a cult. Yeah. But yeah, you're looking at sort of. I think he was about eighteen hundred euros. So if you if you convert that to Aussie dollars, that's probably a bit under three grand trophy fee. Yeah. And your, your your day rates aren't very high. You know, like the the base price for like a four day hunt is about. I think it's about thirteen hundred euros for four days. So Shit. if you did if you did four days on the red stags and then had a couple of days break and did a bit of holidaying and cruising around and then went and did four days on the fallow, um, you're looking at a pretty affordable exercise and you probably you're gonna shoot ten grand. Oh, under ten grand, no problem, yeah. Yeah, oh, no problem. Shit. There so you there you go, guys. I'd yeah, be on, I'd be on to that. <laughs> Yeah, you won't like. It's highly unlikely that you'd be able to nail. Like we've got good reds, obviously in Australia, and occasionally people nail them, but they are pretty. It is pretty hard to get a proper, true, giant, free-range trophy red in Australia. It's not easy. Plenty of guys have done it, but yeah, yeah, it's not. It's not easy to do, and it's the same in New Zealand. Like it's hard to getting hard. It's now. hard to. Yeah, it's there's not that many opportunities, or there is opportunities, and there's plenty of places to do it, but it's. It's not an easy exercise. You've got to put in a lot of time or you've got to be really lucky mm. to pull a real true trophy red stag free range out of New Zealand. Yep. Um, it's, not an easy, it's not an easy thing to do, especially on public land and even, even on private. You've really got to be in the, in the right spot. There's yep. plenty of half free range and half this, and, which I'm not really that interested in. And, and it, like, no, it's it taking nothing away from that, but that's – that's not what I'm. That's not what I want to do. And um, yeah, like these things are these things are as free range as you can possibly get. That's where they've always been. Yeah. And um, I think that's big numbers, too. high density. I think that's something when that like that's their home ground. Like to be able to shoot something for where they've been forever. Oh no, mm. that, that's something special. That's their home. Yeah. That's where they. That's where they're from. Yeah, that's their. Their native range, so it is pretty. It is pretty special, yeah. And to to witness the cult, the hunting culture as well, like just being a part of the, like it's a it's a culture that's 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 been developed over thousands and thousands of years. Like the Bulgarians have always been the Bulgarians, and just like any of those European countries, like they've there's just thousands and thousands of years of hunting history that's that's culminated in what it is today, their their culture today. Yeah. And to be a part of that, to witness it, like. Yeah, it's just it's just absolutely fascinating. The little things that they do, and the little um, the little customs and traditions, and and the trophies, and how they their respect for the animals and their their respect for um, doing things the way they do. Yeah, it's 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 really intriguing. When we look at the owl hunting culture, or in the states, or like um or or Africa, or whatever, like non. Indigenous, like the non-indigenous people that have come to those places, like the hunting culture is new. The the, the hunting culture of the indigenous people that were there obviously is millions of years old. But yep. um, for the non-indigenous people and European settlers and and whatever that have ended up in those places, like it's a new culture. It's only been around for bugger all. 
Whereas there, it's been there forever. So it's a totally different scene. That's kind of still been yeah. learnt. Yeah. It's still been learnt by those, you know, by the new culture sort of thing. So. Yeah, that's right. We're still getting a look, look how backwards we are here. Yeah. Like, when you be honest, like, let's be honest about it. Like, and I said that to Frosty today, like, we're, like, we're just. Put the arse end of a stick, man. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't. Like, we get a few things right in a few places. Like, um, yep. there's definitely some examples. But overall, as a fir- as what allegedly a first world country, we're just our, our game management and our, um, our grip on the hunting industry and, 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 and in terms of how the whole country runs it and views it, it's just so backwards. It's not funny. It's, it's embarrassing. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. It, I'd probably stir a few people up by saying this, but I think it's the fact that uh, everyone just takes it for granted, to be completely honest with you. It's, um, yeah. you know, yep, they're all feral and that kind of stuff, but it, it won't take much to, you know, to have it all gone if we don't look after it. So it's a, it's a whole range of different issues. Yeah, yeah. that's that's one part of it. There's a whole there's a whole range of different things that make it what it is, and it's not anyone's fault or whatever. No. But no, if we not. all, as long as we all, like as hunters, if we're doing the right thing and promoting, if we're promoting the right thing and promoting the right ideals and just generally trying to move things and trying to get momentum in the right direction. Each and if each individual helps to get that momentum in the right direction, we'll we can only hope that in the future it'll improve. But like the Kiwis of the Kiwis are just absolutely miles ahead of us in oh, yeah. almost everything. Like um As you said, it's a culture thing too. It is very much within their culture and I think that's where we struggle. Yeah, yeah. So we've got to Got a lot to learn, yeah. But um, no, anyway, there's another, be positive. There's another podcast. Oh, that's a that. that's that's. I know you like the word rabbit hole, and that's a that's <laughs> a proper rabbit hole. That one, so we, we might avoid it, eh? Yeah, we'll get in trouble on that one. <laughs> yeah, neither. Yeah, neither of us are probably quite um, the right sort of authority. Nah, to nah definitely, not. Anyway, but, yeah. definitely not. Mate, what else are you covering? Um, I mean, look, Bulgaria is just. I think it's just one. If you can get in there, get yeah. it done. Um. What else are you covering as far as um, you know the the different countries? Uh, this you know maybe just to do a quick run over. What else are you covering? Yeah, for sure, mate. Yeah, so so I guess to split it into two kind of different um, categories, I guess my focus is um, sending Kiwis and Aussies, uh, particularly, but anyone like I obviously cater for anyone in any country, but yeah, particularly getting Aussies and Kiwis over to um, I guess faraway places that. A little bit off the off the beaten track. I, I don't have a real focus on North America or Africa, so um, pretty much everywhere else. I'll go through the countries in a minute that I'm currently sort of um, booking hunts in. But um, North America, so Canada and the US. Um, I think, um, yeah, like I, I I guess a lot of the, a lot of the hunters that are going to go over, the, get over there, a lot of them are going to be going DIY, and they're more likely to be sort of going through. Um, a system like what, what, like your your tag system yep. and your um, your it's a, it's a little bit more organised. It's probably the better way to put it, and there's a little bit less unknown. Yeah, and well, a lot less unknown. I'll put it that way. And it's sort of um, there's so much choice over there, and and um, there's so much information out there. I guess is the other thing, and it's yep. so access accessible. So, so I don't I don't really want to. I'm sure in the future I'll probably sort of um, build a few sort of relationships with a few, particularly Canada, like Canada would be yep, an obvious course. thing, particularly because it's all sort of, um, or it's, it's all sort of, you, you have to be guided up there. You can't yep. go DIY. 
Um, and Africa is just a flooded market. So there's, there's a million, every, every man and his dogs sort of running hunts in Africa and, and booking hunts in Africa. And, um, I'm happy to help people out. Like I've definitely have different outfitters and different mates, um, that, that, that run awesome outfits over there. And I could definitely help, help people along, but I'm not technically booking hunts in Africa as yet, but I'll probably, I will in the future, but it's just not a focus area at the moment. And the other, the other sort of main category is, I guess, bringing international hunters over to here. So, um, getting, getting, um, like your, your, like your, your North American, um, clients and Europeans and whoever else over to Australia. And I think we've, um, like, I think a lot of the international hunters sort of, they know Buffalo because there's been Buffalo outfitters going to the big hunting shows over in the States for quite a few years now. And Buffalo have been well marketed and I guess Bantang a little bit as well, are sort of a species that most of those kinds of hunters sort of are aware of. Um, but I think there's a lot of potential in other, um, in some of the other species in Australia uh, that hasn't anywhere been, or hasn't sort of been met yet, um, particularly like Samba, for example. Yeah, that's a big, I was just um, that's a big one. Yeah, I think there's so much potential there. and Not that we want thousands of um, Americans or, or Europeans, whatever, coming over and hunting them, but I think they deserve much more um, attention than, the, than, they, than they get as a, as, a, as a species and as a, as a hunt. Yep. Um, and then, like, hog deer is, is another example. Uh, rooster as well. A lot, of, a lot of overseas hunters are familiar with rooster deer, but um, there's plenty of opportunities here and, and there's plenty of, plenty of awesome hunts. As we know, we all know our species and we know the areas and we know what we've got and we love our – we all love our different animals and we've got a different sort of – we've all got a different appreciation for the different species that we've got, both here in New Zealand, um, in our part of the world, but in, in other parts of the world, they haven't got a clue what we've got here generally and they don't even know – they don't even – we're not even on the map. Like Australia is barely on the map really in the international scene. Um, it's – there's like the big – It'd be probably ten times at least the number of hunters that go to New Zealand from other countries per year to hunt what they have, um, and even Argentina, like uh, places like Argentina, like the the throughput of, of of guided hunts there per year is just astronomical. It's just beyond comprehension. Like it'd be it'd be it'd be hundreds of times more than what what we get here. So yeah, so just just. Yeah, so just getting just getting Australian, like just getting, I guess, international clients over to here and setting them up on, on different hunts and just sort of educating them and Definitely. showing them what's here and, and what different styles of hunts and when to do it and all that sort of stuff. So there'll be a few of them and there already has been quite a few of them. But in terms of other countries um, in the world, I've, I've actually got a – I've prepared an alphabetical list for you, mate. So we'll go through I'm impressed, briefly. Man. Uh, I'm impressed. Yeah, I still remember – I still remember the, the order of the letters of the alphabet <laughs> after all these years. So Argentina, um, very unique situation, unique species there. It's very it's similar to Australia in a lot of ways because you hunt um, 95% introduced animals, which is which we do in Australia and New Zealand, but um, in the majority of other countries except for, say, like Texas and the US, like you're generally hunting native animals. So Argentina's got a range of deer and black Black buck as well, water buffalo, a different sort of um, different strain of water buffalo to, to ours. Um, there's a whole range of stuff there. It's very affordable. Uh, the wing shooting is amazing there too. It's the best wing shooting in the world if you're into 
if you're into wing shooting and, and shotguns, um, it's 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 definitely the best in the world. That, that, um, obviously, that's, that's birds for anybody that doesn't know what wing shooting means. Yeah, ducks and, so, and everything else. Mostly doves, yeah, and different doves, different. Um, yeah, mostly yep. doves. High volume dove shooting. So you like they they just sell they just go through thousands oh, and thousands of shells per day. Yeah, to the the guns just literally smoking hot. Yeah, they yeah high volume and. And a lot of people just love doing that. Like a lot of people will will just go over to Argentina with a group of mates just to go shooting doves for a week, and and um, yeah, so that's a big deal over there. So Australia, I think everyone's familiar with um, Azerbaijan uh, for mostly the the um, Dagestan tur. So one of the three tur species. So Azerbaijan's a very safe, very beautiful, interesting country, um, sort of tucked in there, sort of over to the um, east of Turkey. Um, yeah, so the tur is the main target there, and that's that's a that's a fairly affordable hunt still these days. Uh, Bulgaria, we've sort of touched on whole range of species there. Um, in Bulgaria, the, the the thing I really love about it is you've got access to basically all the European species. Um, so fallow deer, red deer, roe deer, um, you've got the wild boar, mouflon sheep, um, Balkan chamois, so which is one of the, the, the many varieties of, or many species of chamois. Um, and then there's a bit of like, um, like birds as well. Wolf is another one there. Uh, it's a good, it's a good place to hunt wolves if you, if you're keen on getting a wolf. Oh, yeah. Um, so really you're only missing like the different ibexes that live in, um, Spain yeah. and Switzerland, that so it's it's got a good cross section of different species. Uh, Greece um, hunting bow hunting is not legal in Greece, so you're only limited to hunting with shotguns, and it's very very regulated um, in terms of the the way hunting is conducted. But you'd only go to Greece if you're basically targeting a Cree Cree ibex, which is a very interesting little. Um, it's the smallest out of all the ibexes. It's a it, it originated from the Bezoar ibex which is in Turkey and Iran. Um, they were 10,000 years ago, um, humans somehow captured Bezoar ibex in somewhere and took them to the island of Crete, in, which is in like in the Mediterranean, sort of south of Greece and Turkey. And they became their own subspecies over the last 10,000 years. So they're just a miniature Bezoar. They're a tiny little Bezoar ibex. And um, now they, they, they still live in Crete, um, but there's no hunting there. They're protected there, but they've been introduced on two other islands in Greece where you can legally hunt them. And it's not a cheap hunt, and it's only with a shotgun. Uh, you can't even use a rifle, but there are going to be people who want to go and hunt a Cree Cree. So Greece is an awesome place to visit and an interesting place for, for a holiday and whatever as well. Sure. Uh, Greenland, so that's an exciting one. Um, Greenland, basically, you, you go there to hunt either musk ox or caribou. Um there's, there's small game as well, so so there's a bit of small game hunting, which is a bit of fun in the, the spring hunts, which are like winter conditions, the cold conditions. Um, so your, your musk ox hunts are run in two seasons, in spring, which is sort of around April-ish sort of thing, and then also in uh, the fall, around September, October. Um, and in during that time, you can also hunt car- caribou. Um the caribou there are probably the most affordable caribou in the world at the moment. Um, there's about, again, I can't remember the exact number, but I think there's about six recognised um, species of caribou in the world. Yep. Um, 
and that one would be the most affordable easily, um, and they get good ones. Um, some of the earlier photos that used to come out of Greenland, I used to sort of not be totally impressed by the, the size of them, but um, they got the outfit I'm working with over there. Like they shoot absolute crackers every year, yep. like comparable to – What kind of caribou are they? Can you remember? Uh, Central Barren Ground. Yes, yeah, so yeah, so they're they're not going to have the same sort of frame as like a as a as a real big mountain caribou or um or the the, the Alaskan models up there. Yeah. Like, but they're but they're still very impressive. And if you if if you if you're not sort of super picky about which species of caribou you're after, if you're just keen to hunt a caribou, yeah, um, and you you want a nice trophy, it's it's very affordable. Um, there's a couple of Aussie bow hunters that are that are super keen to cool, yeah. <laughs> get over and try that. Yeah, and we've we've managed to set up like backpack hunts. So there's a bit of an option now where we can set up um, like backpack drop hunts where you basically get dropped off in one spot and hike your way through a section of land to a, to another spot and get picked up in a boat there. And awesome. yeah, we're, we're I'm pretty keen to do that one myself as soon as I can. Um, so yeah, right. Greenland's a really interesting option and it's 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 quite cheap like it's it's surprisingly affordable and we might have to talk about that one yeah <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's not that it, it seems so far away because it's just such a it's it just seems like it's such a far away land but it's not that far like it's like flights to flights over to um to denmark which is like the stopover before greenland aren't that expensive if you shop around you can get flights to denmark pretty cheap yeah then your flights over to greenland aren't, aren't that much so yeah, it's it's quite an affordable exercise, um, and yeah, it's not the end of the world getting your trophies back and stuff like that. Like there is obviously going to always be an expense when you when you're shipping trophies back, but um, it, is. it is what it is, and it's you've just got to you've just got to have that knowledge and calcul- put that into your calculations before you sort of sign up and and commit to anything. Um, Hungary, so Hungary is mostly known for its fallow. Um, but also awesome mouflon hunting as well, and red deer and roe deer, wild boars. Um, but particularly good for for giant fallow. Um, it's a little bit. It's generally going to be, yeah. It's generally going to be more expensive than Bulgaria. Um, quite a bit. Quite a bit more expensive. Um, Archery's good there. It's legal. Yep. So it's all yep. good to bow hunt there. Um, but. From from what I've seen, the kind of terrain that the fallow are in, um, I think they do a bit of tree stand stuff and whatever. So that might yeah. that might be a way of doing it. But it's kind of that really flat open forest. So yeah, yeah. it's it's generally where they are. That's sort of mostly dead flat, and you you're, you're stalking through forest with thick leaf litter and and just um just oh. the tree. Yeah, just the just the tree trunks as cover. There's not like in Bulgaria in in the in the fallow spot. It's just amazing for stalking. Like you can just there are open areas, but there's just so much undulation and the right type of bush and and the right type of terrain. You can like if you're a bow hunter and you half know what you're doing, you're going to get shots. You're pretty much going to get shots every day. Um, so it's 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 a bit more susceptible. It's, it's a it's better suited, I think, to to bow hunting. Um, so yeah, just going into sort of Central Asia. So I'll just cover them, even though it's not quite alphabetical. So, so Kyrgyzstan, we talked about, um, Kazakhstan, which is right next to Kyrgyzstan. Kazakhstan, it's not legal for bow hunting. So they haven't, they haven't, um, got it over the line yet. Hopefully they will soon. Um, but yeah, awesome. Um, Marco Polo, Argali hunting there and 
mid-Asian Ibex in Kyrgyzstan, obviously bow hunting's fine, and you've got, yeah, Marco Polo and, and um, mid-Asian Ibex in that country. Um, New Zealand, so, yeah, like there's, again, New Zealand's pretty well covered already, but um, if you need a hand or if you if you if you want to if you want to look at options for New Zealand, I've, I've worked with a few outfitters over there covering all the species really. Um, so yeah, definitely happy to to sort of um, put send people in the right direction there for things like seeker and um, yeah, tar and chamois and and red deer and and everything else. So um, yeah, New Zealand's. And I think the big one with New Zealand too is it, it is. I guess a starting point for a lot of guys starting to get overseas. So, you know, I haven't been able to, you know, I've sent a few guys to yourself, you know, just in the last few weeks, um, just to have that confidence and talking to someone that's, you know, not just going to sell them something for the sake of it. Um, you know, you can talk options, you know, as we went through those, that when we spoke there the other day, um, you know, they mm. just be able to give them the options and, and where to go and a few ideas up their sleeve, I think is really, really helpful. Yeah. And the good thing about New Zealand is this, there is like it's there's so many options on public land, um, and like if you if you're comfortable with doing that, and there's also so many guides, and there's a, there's a wide there's a million different outfitters in New Zealand now, and there's a there's a huge range in or a fairly reasonable range in pricing, and you're going to be able to find if you do your research and you speak to people, you're going to be able to find the the option that fits you the best. Um, and there's there's plenty of like we've in Australia like there's there's plenty of there's plenty of hunters that have been like there's a lot of experience there's a, there's a big pool of experience now with New Zealand and there's there was pioneers I guess in the bow hunting world that sort of opened that up um, like Wilsey and and um, and Paulie and stuff like that like there's there's been guys that have sort of opened it up and sort of figured it out and shared their knowledge and yeah. now there's there's a lot of people that have been over there now a lot of the young fellows that are a lot of the quite young fellows that um, yeah, I guess they're up and comers in the bow hunting scene. Like they're all over there now, getting into it and shooting tar and whatever. So yeah, there's a lot of knowledge out there, and and um, everyone's pretty willing to share it. So Good to see. New Zealand's New Zealand's just a, a whole world of opportunity, and and there's so many different species. Like it's it's um it's 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 a it's a huge like it's it's a it's a big list to get through. If you try and if you try and nail all of them, you've got a fair bit of work ahead of you. Yeah, yeah, so, for sure. So um, even a t- even just to get a tar like is is a fairly major exercise. Like it's not you've got to put a f- you're generally going to put a fair bit of effort into into trying to get a tar. Yeah, it's not a give me. That's um, for sure. Yeah. So so yeah, New Zealand's on the list. Uh, then we've got Pakistan, which is which I am super excited about getting to one day. Um, hunting has only really been sort of happening there on a sort of a commercial basis pretty recently. So I think way back in the day, like probably in the fifties and sixties and that, like, or, or even earlier when it was a sort of colonial days, there would have been a lot of hunting then, but it sort of was shut down for a long time. And it's, it's only really been the last, I think it's less than 10 years that it's opened up again. Um, bow hunting's legal. Um, you've got some really interesting um, species there. So you've got, um, the first that come to mind are the two ibexes, the Sind ibex and the and the um, Himalayan ibex. Sweet. They're fairly reasonably affordable. Like you're sort of looking for those. You're looking around that ten grand US or a little bit more. So it's sort of yeah, pretty expensive, but not out of this world. Yep. Um, you've got a few species of um, Uriel, which is sheep, the Blandford Uriel and the um, Punjab Uriel. I think there's another one as well, but. 
Um, they're they're quite expensive, and they're like they're, they're kind of yeah they're they're, they're sort of um, they're sheep species that are yeah prob- sheep species sheep prices. <laughs> yeah, you, you imagine a imagine an awesome looking sheep that lives in the deserts of Pakistan. That's yeah, you can imagine what the price is going to be. So they're sort of yeah they're expensive hunts. Um, yeah, and then you've got things like um, yeah, there's the, there is the blue sheep there as well, which is which is right up high. Um, and then you can hunt boars there, and you can hunt black buck and hog deer and a few other things like that. But it's not cheap. It's not a cheap place. It's fairly expensive, Pakistan. So it's sort of it's sort of going to be. Yeah, not many. I don't think too many Aussies are going to end up over there, but it's there, yeah, but not on the radar. Yeah, it's sort of. Yeah, I can't imagine too many Aussies getting over there. Um, I'd love to get there one day before I die. I'd love to love to visit Pakistan and mm. uh, check it out. The next one's Russia, and this is probably the most exciting for me at the moment in this list um, because Russia is currently in the process. I haven't checked up really late, like recently, but. They basically have put put the legalization of bow hunting through Parliament. What so, is that? yeah, I actually got involved with it uh, last year. Uh, one of my Russian mates got in touch and asked me to put a video together and sort of like an interview explaining like why I wanted to go to Russia with a bow and sort of just explain, um, yeah, like just as a bit of a um, yeah, just a, a little bit of evidence to put forward to Parliament. So I guess a bunch of people probably did that as well. But yeah, it's yep. been approved and it's it's going through at the moment, and it's very unlikely that it's very that. unlikely that it's not going to yeah that it's going to get knocked back. And Russia just is just such a massive, massive chunk of land, and there's such a crazy array of species up there, and it's very affordable. Yep, um, it's super cheap, and there's been a history there of. Um, a lot of people get a bit worried when you mention Russia and they think about safety and, and there has been lots of dodgy operators up there. So there's, there's been like, there's a, there's a bit of a reputation there and, and a bit of a connotation, I guess, for a lot of people of, of um, maybe things um, being a bit rough and a bit wild, but there are a lot of really good outfitters up there now who are, who are doing a great job and it's very affordable. Um, it's, that's probably more, probably the most exciting region for me at the moment i think is russia i just cannot wait to get there i I just i can't wait to go and check it out um you've got you've got um yeah like you've got the altai ibex which is that's that's a that's a really cheap hunt for for an ibex so that's that's one of the ibex species um you've got the three types of tur so all three tur live there and again they're, they're they're much more affordable than in azerbaijan Um, probably a little bit more difficult but I think once you're there and you're up in the mountain you can you can make it happen if you if you work hard and um, for example seeker deer very affordable seeker hunts up there Manchurian seeker Um, and obviously the the giant moose that you see photos of occasionally those Kamchatka and and yeah that that sort of region like the north and and far east of Russia uh, gigantic moose that that bigger than what even comes out of Alaska. Um, brown bears as well. So if you're interested in bears, that's by far the most affordable place to go and shoot a big bear. Um, and, and there's plenty of them. They're just on tap. So there's there's so many different regions in, in Russia and, and, and just so many different species to hunt. Um, yeah, there's, there's an endless list. Roe deer, Siberian roe deer. Um, there's musk ox up the top in some places. There's um, there's awesome red deer hunting. 
Um, yeah, so there's there's endless opportunity in Russia, and I really can't wait to, for the day that we finally get news that um, yeah, that bow hunting's been legalised and we can book flights. So, I'm so I was going to say, keen. sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty keen. And yeah, I, I just I just can't wait. So I'm working with a, a really awesome outfitter up there. Um, this and, is a bear um, hunt. Yeah, yeah, like you can you can you can do it for like like some of the brown bear hunts are like four thousand euros or five thousand euros. Yours. Yeah, so very affordable compared to North America. Hey, and like um, yep, commercialisation. So, that's all it is. Supply and demand. Yeah, and and it's a bit of adventure, you know, like going somewhere like Russia's sort of. Like it, it's just it's just somewhere so out of our normal comfort zone, and um, yeah. I just find those places intriguing. Like I don't, yeah, I've never felt unsafe, or I think probably the probably the most unsafe place to be at the moment is probably even South Africa, and heaps of hunters go there, th- hundreds of thousands of hunters go there every year, and that's probably about as unsafe as you can get. Yeah, um, I think Russia, yeah, you're pretty you're pretty right. Like, um, yeah, you wouldn't want to be. Do it, taking too big a risk or being silly or whatever, but yeah, like if you if you went there and kept your wits about you, you're going to be totally fine. Yeah. Yep. Um, so, lots of excitement around Russia at the moment. Um, Spain is a is a bread and butter one for me. I've got a um, really awesome guy over there who's who's just um, really knows his bow hunting. He's just a legend of a guy. I just had a had a uh, client over there recently that that nailed a gigantic um, Basidi Ibex over there with his rifle, just an absolute cracker, as big as they get. Um, and he just he just didn't he, he couldn't say any more positive things when he when he got back. And that's awesome. Um, and that's probably the most affordable Ibex really in the world, um, the the Basidi Ibex. So that's a that's a very affordable hunt if you if you want to shoot an Ibex and you're sort of on a limited budget. That's 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 the place to go because they're 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 um, they're still tricky, but the country that they live in is quite good for stalking, so it's, it, it is really good for bow hunting or, or rifles um, and just experiencing the culture of Spain and, and, and yeah, it's just it's an awesome holiday destination. So it's it's a perfect place to take your partner. So it's it just sometimes you can just swindle it a little bit better if you can say, <laughs> and I'm being a little bit sexist here, but, yeah, saying to the missus, like, let's go to Spain for a holiday I'm just gonna. We're just gonna quickly go to this little area <laughs> for a few days. And, yeah, just kind yeah. Of Ibex. yeah, Spain's Spain's right up there. It's it's um yeah it's a it's just an awesome awesome place to visit. And yeah, there's other species there as well. There's four species of ibex there that all are all separate sub separate species. Um, mufl- great mouflon sheep, uh, roe deer, red stag. Um, there's two types of chamois there as well. Um, yeah, so there's quite a range of stuff there, and uh, the guy I work with is just yeah, he's just an absolute legend. So that's, awesome. that's one that that's a that's a great hunt over in Spain. Uh, Turkey uh, is the next one on the list, um, and yeah, fascinating country. I've been there a couple of times now. I, I, I went, you remember I went there chasing Bezwell a few years ago when you were, were chasing? Yeah, and, um, showed me up. No. <laughs> <In a day. laughs> well, to be honest, just yeah, like um, yeah, it was it was just amazing luck what what happened. But uh, take, um, it, take it, there, mongrels. Yeah, I'll take <laughs> I'll take that one because I I had a lot of drama leading up to that trip, and it was almost at the point where I was di- didn't even have access to a bow and arrow at all. Oh, wasn't I like, about to send mine over from the states or something? 
Yeah, there was. We're, we're looking at a few options. <laughs> like how how ridiculous is that? I was oh. like week a week out from probably the biggest hunt of my life, and I didn't even have access to a bow, let alone a, my own bow. Like went it was missed. a joke. Did it get miss, went missing, didn't it? My, well, my, my one got blown. My main bow got blown up in Bulgaria because someone dry fired it when I wasn't watching, and they won't be named, but. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and then the, the new replacement bow and the new cams for like the replacement cams for the bow that had blown up were stuck in customs in Greece and they were being oh, that's right. Was they were being very, very difficult with customs and it was just a massive, massive drama that went on for months and um yeah, luckily my mate Costas, shout out to Costas in Greece, who's Greece's only he's basically the only bow hunter in Greece and I happened to I happened to sort of know him. <laughs> Connects with him in Greece, and I hadn't even met him at this stage. I hadn't actually met him because I'd just moved to that city, and but I knew him on Facebook, and I just said, "Look, mate, I'm desperate here. Can I borrow your bow?" And I hadn't even met this guy, and I'm asking if I can borrow his bow to go to Turkey. <laughs> and um, he replied and said, "Look, mate, just give me ten minutes." And he he happened to know someone in customs, oh. and like in in Greece, it's all about who you know. It's not. It's all about who you know. Like it's just. Yeah, it's just the way it works over there. And yep. he knew someone in customs and had it sorted in 10 minutes. So it wow. just made him time. And then I went out to his house and met him and tuned this new bow in and um, managed to get it figured out. And then I was all practicing with my, it was the first time I'd ever had a single pin sight. I was practicing out to 90 yards and I was like freaking out about taking like longer shots. And I got, I got it good. Like I got it shooting really sweet out to confident, confident at 80 yards, which I hadn't ever really had to do before in my life and then I shot the thing at 10 yards for the first <laughs> day so yeah, it was pretty random but uh, turkeys um the, the bezoar hunts are reasonably affordable um kind of varies between areas um and we can get some pretty good specials at times one of my mates baz is over there right now as we speak he's um he's over there in the thick of it right now in amongst him so um yeah so the bezoar is a very desirable species. They're a beautiful. They're a beautiful ibex, and um, and Turkey's just a. Um, it's just an intriguing place. It's so different. It's right on that sort of boundary between Asia and and Europe, and and it's just so unique. And and you get a little taste of Turkey, and you just want to go back and yeah. and do it again. And um, again, great place for a holiday. Not so much in winter when you're hunting ibex, but in summer, it's an amazing place to go for a, yeah. to go for a holiday and. Wild boars there, amazing wild boar hunting. You see all those – I'm sure everyone's seen plenty of photos of those gigantic Turkish boars. Oh. Um, and then you've got a few other species like the Anatolian red stag, which is like a special Turkish subspecies of red. Um, and you've got the Anatolian chamois, which is one of the chamois species. Um, there's um, the Anatolian gazelle as well, a cool type of gazelle. And bow hunting is obviously legal there, so you're all good with a bow. It's not a – it's not a fun place to um, take a rifle, as we've just discovered in the last week with uh, Baz. But um, yeah, like you're, you're better off just using a guide's rifle rather than trying to take your own. But with yeah, a bow, you've got no issues. And the last one on the list currently is uh, Tajikistan, which is very similar to. It borders onto Kyrgyzstan, um, and it's very similar in terms of the, the terrain and the species. Um, it's generally more expensive, uh, the Marco Polo hunts there. Way, way, way more expensive than Kyrgyzstan, um, but yeah, it's still it's still an option if you if you're interested in doing that kind of thing. But, Once again, that one's that one's known pretty well in the United States, so it gets a fair bit of attention yeah. too. So 
Yeah. Um, yeah, once again, you know, I think a lot of these places you've mentioned are, are slipping through the cracks and um, yeah, man, there's some adventures amongst that. Holy shit. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff out there. I guess I've sort of, yeah, I've, I've sort of um, had the chance to check a lot of these places out. Like there's, out of that list, I've been to the, the vast majority of them now and if I haven't been there, I'm going pretty soon. And um, yep. yeah, you, like I guess there's, I guess for us, just, just generalising, um, I guess for us Aussies particularly, there's there's only certain hunts that are really within reach um, and really achievable and realistic. So I guess that's a finite list. And then you go to say, if you're a bow hunter, the list decreases more because there's there's only there's only certain countries in the world that where you can legally bow hunt. So for rifle hunters, they've got a they've got a wider variety. Like there's a lot more countries in Europe where you can hunt. But the game, the species are basically going to be the same. Um, yeah. the, the the roe deer, the red deer, the fallow deer, like the, like mouflon, like all that stuff's fairly consistent. The one that's the one that's annoying is the alpine ibex, which lives in um, Switzerland and um, Italy and Austria. Um, you can't buy on any of those countries, so it's 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 probably the most impressive ibex. I think I, I just really love them. Um, they've just got those really super solid horns and massive bases and they're just such an impressive ibex. Um, so unique and you can't bow hunt them. Um, there's, there's one little feral population down in the very bottom of, um, very, very like in the bottom of the Andes right down there in the very bottom of Argentina. Um, but it's like, I think it's like 16k US, and I don't think anyone's ever gotten with a bow there yet. I haven't heard of anyone ever shooting one with a bow, so it's sort of a pretty off chance. But yeah, it's a little bit annoying about the Alpine ibex, but hopefully one of these, hopefully one of those countries legalizes it. And yeah. there's good, there's good things happening. Like Russia is a massive deal, like for for such a huge country that has so much influence over other countries around it, like Kazakhstan and 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 plenty of other bordering countries, Romania as well, like. Um, when, when, when it goes legal in Russia and they show that it works and that it's all sweet, which we already know. Could be strong. Um, hopefully, yeah, hopefully there's a bit of influence on these other yep. countries. And, and, and like Bulgaria only became legal recently. Um, it was only like six or seven years ago. Greece, there's a lot of there's a lot of work going on there at the moment to try and legalise it there, okay. um, which some of my mates are involved in. And um, Yeah, so the, there's positive things happening in terms of, of, of opportunities opening up. So I think things are getting better overall from what I can see rather than getting worse, which is a good thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I think opportunities are only getting better. But like I was like just getting back to my point, there's really apart from if you if you put Africa and North America aside and we kind of we're kind of all fairly familiar with what's there and yep. what it's like, um, it's a fairly finite list of what's out there to hunt. It's not endless and it's um it's easy to sort of get a bit of an idea of what's out there and set some goals and 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 sort of um, work towards them. And I, yeah, I, I hope to hope to be able to, um, yeah, help people sort of join the dots and and make it happen and live their live those dreams. You know, and I've had I've been lucky. Of well, I've either been lucky or really dumb in my <laughs> in my um in my sort of management of finances and life planning, but. It, whichever way you look at it, yeah, I've been to a lot of these places and sort of sussed it out and worked it out, and um, yeah, I can definitely sort of facilitate things, and um, yeah, no, I'm just, I'm pretty excited about sort of seeing 
some results and, and sending guys over to these places and um, yeah, just being, I just, and I love the feeling of being a part of that story. You know, like just being a part, like some of the guys that went last year to Bulgaria, like we're still in contact, you know, like they've sort of become mates and yeah, like the whole, the whole, um, the whole process from the time that they get excited about it and, and ask for information and then eventually book and then they get ready and they're asking questions and then they go and do the hunt and, you're getting live updates when they're there and you're I'm I'm frothing for them like I'm I'm here at work or whatever just going getting photos and, and updates from from these guys and I just love it I love being a part of it I'm not there but I can kind of yeah I'm sort of I feel like I'm I'm part of the a part of that um Keeps a part of life. that experience yeah and then and then there's the and then there's getting the trophies back and 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 the whole the whole thing down to like for example yeah, organising a few of these trophies to put up to put on display at the Wild Deer Show, and, you know, like just and they're so like those guys have all been so helpful and giving me some like giving me photos that I need for banners and, and yep. sending setting heads around and yeah, like just want to want to help out and yeah, it's um it's fun to it's a fun thing to be a part of and I think you're you're probably in the same boat with um with what you're doing with with particularly the states like you're sort of facilitating things and being a part of these these stories and these these dreams, eh? Definitely, man. And I think, and that's, I was just going to say, like, you know, I've said it to you before, mate, but I do, I give you credit to probably step out and, and probably be involved with it because you're a little bit like me. Um, I can't help myself but be the organiser. Um, it's just, it's kind of in my blood to, I guess, to have mm-hmm. a little bit of control as well, but take on the take on the, the pressure of, you know, making sure that everyone's right. And I've done it a couple of times in the States now and, yeah. Um, you know, and I'll probably do that with a, you know, obviously Jake was on the podcast there, yeah, you know, a couple of months ago, and you know, trying to organise them and Frosty and that to to get over there and just make sure that they're they're sorted. I don't know. You you do you feel part yeah. of it, and you you can't help but you know, especially if, if someone fulfills a dream, you just say, you know, I just had that little niche, I had that little notch in there that um, you know, I did my little bit for that person. So yeah, um, credit to you, mate, because it's it does. Yeah, it's full on to send someone on the other side of the world on their lifelong, you know, their life dream, so to speak. And you know, it, it does take a bit of pressure and a, you know, a certain person to do it, mate. So I'll give you credit for it. Yeah, no, and I haven't got much. There's not many runs on the board yet, but I just, um, yeah, like I, I'm, I'm excited about it, and I'm, um, yeah, I'm keen to see where it goes. And like I said, I don't want to take over the world in one day or one month. Like I'm just going to take small steps and just really focus on quality. That's yeah. That's what I need to be really sure about. Like I've got a, I've got a job and a, like I've got my normal job, you know. Like I, I'm lucky. I work a roster where I, I only work sort of. I, I do two weeks on, two weeks off. So I'm sort of at work for two weeks, and then the next two weeks I can do other stuff. So I can hunt or I can work on this. So I've, I've got the opportunity to do it. I've got the tools to do it, and um, yeah, I've got the right ingredients there, I guess. And it's just sort of happened quite organically. And um, yeah, the other thing I was going to mention is I, I. I there seems to be this uncanny ability for particularly guides and outfitters around the world to be pretty piss poor with communication. <laughs> um, and and yeah. I've seen it so many times, like it's just become the norm, like you just get used to it. So you you send an eat like you're, you're 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 like usually on these hunts you're talking about pretty big dollars and Aussies 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 particularly have there's two things that are very or quite specific to Aussies and this probably goes for everyone, but we have very high expectations and we are very tight. We don't. We want it to be as cheap as possible. Mm-hmm. 
like we're we're not going to be just we want things to be like we want to be spending as little as possible and we've got big expectations we want to see results we want to get that animal that we're spending money on and we want to know every detail and 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 like yeah like guys are and that's fine to be like that that's 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 natural but a lot of our, a lot of other kind of i guess um demographics of, of hunters from other countries that they, they're probably it's not quite like that like and so outfitters are quite used to sort of a lot of people who just probably don't really care that much they've probably got miles of money and just turn up and yeah like sort of they, i'm sure they're still concerned about things and they want things to go well but uh, i think outfitters are quite lazy a lot of the time with their communication and i i've always hated that since i was young i just if I ask four questions that are really clear questions, I want four answers, not two. Yep. And that's something I pride myself on is, is just clear communication. I, 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 it's just how I am. My brain just works like that. I have to be like that at work. And with this, with organising this sort of stuff, like these hunts and logistics and handling trophies afterwards and all that stuff, like there's a lot of detail. There's a lot of little details that have got – there's a lot of little boxes that have got to be ticked and a lot of T's to be crossed and I's dotted and, and – yeah, you've got to have that attention to detail and you've got to be a good communicator. So that's one thing that I can assure people is that, um, yeah, they're going to they're gonna get clear communication, they're going to get the facts and, um, yeah, like they, if, I, if, they, if I get an email or a message, like I, it's not going to be missed or not answered properly or whatever. So that's one thing that I, yeah, will really make sure of and, um, and that's one thing that we can, like doing this kind of role, I guess, is, is – is good with because you're bridging that gap between an outfitter who doesn't want to be answering a million questions and having 20 different guys asking, oh, what, how many pairs of jocks should I bring or, you know what I mean? Like I can answer that stuff and keep all that traffic down so that, so that um, yeah, they, they've got the information that they need and, yeah, just have clear, clear information, clear communication. It's just really critical with this stuff. You've got to get it right. I've got no doubt there that uh, you will nail that, mate. What's the um – Best way to boys get or and women, but uh, get in contact with you, mate. Um, email, I, yeah, email is probably the best at the moment. So my my silent pursuits uh, email address is just um, silentpursuits at gmail dot com. So um, yeah, so it's 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 on my uh, Instagram page and Facebook. So we've I've got an Instagram and a Facebook. It's not I'm not super hardcore with the social media. Like I'll put a bit of stuff up, but I'm not gonna. I haven't really got the time to be putting up 20 posts every day, uh, but I'll just keep a little trickle of stuff coming through on there. Um, but, yeah, pretty easy to find. Uh, the website's under production at the moment. My mate's almost finished it. Um, shout out to um, Jamie. He's doing, doing an awesome job. Perfect. And it's it'll be live before the show, before the Wild Deer show. So, um, awesome. yeah, and I encourage anyone who wants to have a yarn about anything whatsoever, whether it's about – what you hunted last week, or or what you're planning to do in ten years' time in in Pakistan, <laughs> come and um definitely come and have a yarn at the Wild Deer Show. I'll be there, and um I'll have a stand for the first time there, and um yeah, I'll have a few trophies on display. I'll have my fellow down there, so he's he's still just a Euro mount. He hasn't been mounted, so people can check him out, and a couple of other awesome trophies, um a couple of Ibex and a, and a few other fellow from that the boys got last year, and different stuff, and. Perfect. Plenty of photos and all that sort of stuff, and yeah, happy to have a yarn and and sort of just yeah get into a bit of detail about um, any of these locations and 
any of these places. So I'm um, really looking forward to the Wild Deer Show. It's always, it's just, it's become sort of a, it's really become an institution, hasn't it? Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, oh, oh, it's just, I'm just trying, I'm just remembering the last one we went to. Oh, shit. If we're um, going to do that again. But anyway, well, was that Myrtleford? Well, yeah, it was Myrtleford. But yeah. I'm happy to happy to report to you, mate, that I've turned over a new leaf this year and I've really um, – I'm really not drinking much, so I've, I've sort of yeah, I've, and I've been really actually enjoying it. I haven't, I've sort of been sort of really light on in terms I'm, of. Um, I'm actually, and, I'm actually thankful for that because I reckon my liver's still hurting from that weekend. That was two years. Yeah, ago. like it. I've had a tendency to sort of go a bit overboard the last few shows. <laughs> no, nah, this nah, one not at all. On this, we'll definitely have a good session on the Saturday night, but nah, um, yeah. yeah, on Friday I'll be on under tight control. Yeah, we're gonna and, we're gonna uh, set up, mate. We're gonna set up booths. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's it's going to be interesting. So, um, yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it. It's just, it's just, it, it always goes too fast. Like, I wish it was yeah. like four days because it, it would, it would be good. It would be good if it was an event or something. Or like yeah, something else tagged onto it. But you sort of, you, you get a chance to catch up with everyone briefly. You, you don't get a chance to catch up with everyone, anyone properly. Yeah. So it's sort of, it's sort of fairly, um, fairly. Rush, but yeah. Anyway, that's sat- the Saturday night. Like the, the gatherings that we've had, particularly the bowhunters getting together, um, like the the full the, the crew getting together, sort of thing. It's always hilarious. It's always um, it's good time. It's always a really fun time. Yeah. So so can't wait for that. And um, yeah, good on. Or, yeah, wanted to give credit to um, Alan Bowman for for sort of what he's done to organise the bowhunting only section because I think that's a Good idea, and everyone's still going to go through there. Like all, anyone that goes to the show is still going to go through there. Everyone's interested in bow hunting, regardless of your if you're a bow hunter or mostly a rifle hunter or, or or with the hounds or whatever. Like everyone will still have a look through there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. But he's done a good job of bringing it all together. So um. Thanks, thanks, Al, for sorting that out. You've done a top job, mate. Yeah, we're good, and mm-hmm. I think um. Yeah, I, I, I shout out to everyone to try and try and make it there. You know, they're, they're a little bit worried about. I've obviously been talking to the organisers there, just with the bushfires and that. They've, they've had a few people pull out, but hopefully, with a bit of relief uh, from the weather at the moment, they they might get a might be able to fill a few of the spots. But I think the big thing is, is you know, if people get down and support the people that that put up the booths, uh, it'll keep these sort of functions going. Um, no one rocks up. You know, guys aren't going to go and put a booth down, spend a few grand and put a booth down there. So, um, yeah. you know, it, it supports the industry in general. If we can look at it that way, um, yeah, it, you know, it'll 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 make things bigger and better. Yeah, and it's it's you'll often pick up a good special there too, particularly for things like broadheads and 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 even camo gear and jackets and boots and whatever. Like, there's there's often really good specials there, so it's often worth your while. Getting there just to just yep. to get a few good deals and um and stock up on a bit of gear. So yeah, yep. touching and feeling um, new shit. And, yeah, you know, just the conversations. Um, yeah, no, it's a good time. And you know, a lot of the podcast listeners, that Myrtleford one that I went, to, you know, but you and I behaved ourselves very well at. Um, <laughs> you know, but you, you get to meet all these people that you know you you share comments on Instagram and all that, and then you know you get to shake hands. It's I, I, I yeah. think that that part's really cool about it. Exactly, yeah, yeah. It's such a it's such an awesome vibe, isn't it? And um, yeah, I've always found that there's there's very minimal sort of negativity or any drama or any sort of like it all just sort of everyone just seems to get on so well, and everyone's just um, it's it's a real party atmosphere and a really positive atmosphere. And there's, air, and the there's aircon. 
Yeah, well, fingers crossed. I'm be praying to every god I've ever heard of that it's not going to be 42 degrees like yeah. the last. Like Murdoch, it wasn't too bad, but the two before that, the two years before that, were just horrific, eh? Yeah, I missed um, that one. I I heard the Bendigo one before. That was a different location, eh? This one's got air kind of. Yeah, so. yeah, it was just, it was just Tremendous. absolute. Oh my god, I was just a mess. I was just, oh, just <laughs> you, you couldn't you couldn't escape it. Even if you tried to stand in front of a fan for a minute or two, like you just as soon as you walked away from the fan, it was yeah, it was just horrific. So. Fingers crossed, we've got a bit of good weather, and yep. um, yeah, that's all we can hope for. A bit of bit of nice, right. just a nice chilly sort of thirty-two degrees would be would be would be nice instead of instead of forty-two. Yeah, definitely. So um, yeah, but no, I'm really looking forward to it. And you've got a fair bit to um, you've got a fair bit to get excited about as well. By the sounds of it, I hear that um, yeah, that you'll be you yeah, guys mate. will be releasing the the Kafari range and yeah, yeah. Kafari Australia finally getting off the off the ground. It's been a bit of a roller coaster to be honest to everyone, but. Um, yeah, going into business is hard, <laughs> especially when you're dealing with overseas stuff, um, yeah. customs and all that kind of thing. So it hasn't hasn't been the easiest ride, um, but you know we're getting there. We will be there. We'll we'll have gear there, and you know, as I said, you know, the last one, mate, it's just just another some another option out there for people to to check out, you know, and compare. And there's so much good gear out there these days. It's and it's bloody hard one online, so just to be able to have something there and touch and feel, yeah, and compare it to something else. And that was the thing back in the day, like, or I guess before this, like, there's like, yeah, you couldn't unless someone had a Kafari pack or a or a or a, a sheep tarp or a, yeah. or a lost park park or something like that. You you couldn't. You just had to judge it online and, and go right. Well, I think this is going to be good or whatever. Whereas, yeah, like the the fact that you could actually. Check them out. It's obviously high quality gear. I, I use the I, I use the pullouts every day. I've got one sitting right next to my laptop right now. I keep all my little computer bits and parts <laughs> in a in a Kafari pullout. It's, just, um, yeah, it's crazy. I got one sitting next to the bed. I got I got one sitting next to the bed here. It has me. I have throw me like key like charges and shit in it. It's freaking handy. It's just like a real hardcore pencil case kind of thing. <laughs> super, How super cool would have we were in so good at high school, one man? man. Really? <laughs> Imagine that. Hey? Yeah, it's way. <laughs> Way ahead of our time, oh, but, but um, no. Uh, but good luck should, with good luck with that no, as well, cheers, mate. mate. It should be, yeah, it should be good. I'm hoping. Hopefully, we're busy. Um, you know, probably not going to have the stock numbers there that we wanted to, but um, you know, purely just you know, with everything going on. But we'll, we'll you know, we'll have a bit of gear there, and no, no doubt we'll talk some shit and have a good yeah. time. So it'll be good. Yeah. But no, um, it's gonna be a ripper. Well, mate, and, um, what if? What have you got planned for this year? Have you got many big ones coming up? You always seem to. So, what have you? Have you got anything special on, or what? Mate, I'm, I'm as we sit here now. I'm two weeks away from hearing the Alaska draw results, so I'm, I'm praying that I will get me mountain goat tag again. And I know I haven't told that story on here yet, but I probably never will. But um, yeah. <laughs> and um, <laughs> but yeah, no. Play, look, sort of playing the waiting game at the moment. Um, I'd probably go into the yeah, just applying for the big stuff as as normal over there, mate. But back home, I'll chase the Reds in April. Um, we've got Buffalo in July with Frosty. Yeah, we've got um, got a good mate of an American, uh, James Nash, is coming over. Um, he's been on the podcast before, so we're um, yeah, we've got him coming over, mate. And he's got a, I think he's got a bit of a film crew. He's working with a couple of brands over there. I think coming over and shooting one. So good stuff. Hopefully, get him sorted out. Then I think he's going down and hitting a, hitting a samba and. Maybe a wild dog down south too. So, 
Um, nice. So getting in, going around, and then, yeah, mate, then after that, it'll probably um, I'll hold out until hitting the States again. So Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll chase an elk somewhere. Uh, it's been too long since I've chased one of them, so. Been, what, two years? <laughs> Three. Three, come oh, on. Three. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yeah. By, by the way, just you mentioned the Northern Territory, and I think you're going to be up there around the same time, but just I'll just mention that the Trophy Takers yes. uh, Awards are the uh, 3rd and 4th of July. Um, as, as the same as any trophy takers awards weekend, everyone's welcome. So um, yeah, it's not you don't have to you don't have to be a member. Any anyone that's anyone that's interested or wants to come and um, yeah come and get involved and and um, enjoy what the weekend offers. Everyone's welcome. So if you're in Darwin or you happen to be up there that, at that time or whatever, the Darwin one's quite fifth um, so July. Isn't that? Is that it? Uh third and fourth is the weekend of fourth. Yeah, yeah, the Saturday and Sunday, but. That one's always a, a notorious um, sort of place for the for the awards. It was up there many years ago. This will be the second time, so we've got a fair bit to live up to. But yeah, just a bit of a plug for that. If if you're in the yep. area or if you're keen to attend an awards or join up with trophy takers, that's a that's a great time to to do it. And it's always a fun weekend. So there'll be plenty of plenty of um, yeah, it'll be plenty of fun that weekend. Very good bunch of lads and some pretty awesome stories and trophies to see. So um, yeah, yeah, they did, yeah. Definitely, if you're up there, we're well, I'm actually trying to rearrange dates with flights for for James, so we can make that actually. So, well, I hope you, I hope you can, mate. Yeah, I really hope you can. That'd be awesome if, um, yeah, if we could get a bit of a crew there from with those guys as well. It'd be freaking unreal. Yeah, it'll be, it'll be, it'll be a good weekend. Yeah. Well, mate, I better let you go back to bed or go back to bed, go to bed. It's, uh, <laughs> but, uh, mate, thanks so much for jumping on, mate. I, um, I'm actually around for a few weeks, bud, but. Uh, I, I just can't thank you, um, you know, for what you do in amongst the Bowen community, mate. Um, you're always a full of life and smile on your face, mate. So thank you, and uh, look forward to having a beer down at the down the expo in a couple of weeks. Yeah, can't wait, mate. Thanks very much for having me on. I, I really appreciate the opportunity, mate. And I, yeah, I, I um, yeah, it means a great deal to me to be able to have a bit of a yarn about silent pursuits and give a bit of background and. And um, yeah, I encourage people to get in touch. Just by any means, um, I'm not hard to, I'm not that hard to get a hold of. Um, yeah, by email or social media or on the phone or whatever. So, if you want to have a yarn about absolutely anything to do with any of the stuff we talked about, just please get in touch. And um, yeah, we'll we'll go from there. So thanks heaps for having me on, mate. And yeah, I know I've said it, I think twice now before, but yeah, well done on the, well done on your ongoing efforts you and the boys on the podcast I've, I've almost caught up with them all now I've had a lot of time driving lately at work so I've slowly been working my way through a bit of a backlog and um, yeah it's just we all we all appreciate it very much and we all love it it's just gone from strength to strength and um, yeah it's just it's just such a it's just such an awesome thing that you've managed to to, to, to bring about and to um, create. So, um, yeah, the, the, the community is much better for what you've been able to do. So good on you, mate. It's it's just going, going great. So um, keep it up. Cheers, bud. Appreciate it. And, um, yeah, we'll we'll get back in the gear here once this Mother Nature starts behaving itself. I'll, yeah. uh, I'll have a bit more time. So as I'm, sit- as I'm sitting here talking to Benny, I've got a flood going over my bridge. So... <laughs> 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 I think I'm pretty sure it's going to snow next week. That's what I meant to everyone anyway. So yeah, anything so, could be around the corner, right? Fuck, who knows at the moment? Yeah, but, nah, we'll be all good. Thank you, mate. Thanks for your kind words, and uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that cold one. Yeah, good stuff, mate. See you in a few weeks, eh? All right, man. Cheers. Cheers. 
Thank you for listening to the Hunting Countdown on a podcast. If you would like any information from today's show, please don't hesitate to contact us on huntingcampdownunder at gmail.com or simply hit us up on any of our social media outlets on Instagram or Facebook. Be sure to join us next week for another awesome episode and we look forward to sharing another story from Hunting Camp Down Under. Bye for now.